Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Uh, good evening to everyone. I caught the tail end of this. And quite honestly, it reminds me of what Mr. Fuller has always said. People are out here quoting Mr. Fuller. Let's have another quote of Mr. Fuller. Mr. Fuller has over and over and over suggested that black people focus on the white supremacy system on white people. And what I hear is probably a repeat of what I, uh, my sister had talked about during the 70s when there was an attempt at revolutionary action on the part of black people, and it degenerated to exactly this. It degenerated into a, a form of attempted sexism. And what I mean by attempted sexism is us not fighting to be equal, us fighting to be superior. And I'm talking about males. And what I have heard as far as, uh, you know, uh, hitting women, Mr. Fuller has said also, since we're quoting Mr. Fuller, over and over again, there's no excuse to hit a woman unless it's in defense of your life. And so I'm listening to this, and now I'm beginning to understand why counter-racism is so difficult and why if we're going to take this tack, and I'm not certainly not saying that's the tack that everybody's taking, but if we're going to take the tack that the black female is the enemy, and I doubt that any male on this, that's listening to me now would entertain the conversation in reverse if black women were on this line talking about black men were the enemy, there would be no tolerance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about black women being the enemy, then we might as well wrap this crap up in a ball mm-hmm. and throw it in the garbage and just resign ourselves to being slaves forever. Because that is exactly what this talk is leading to. You are alienating the very people that you need. We need each other. The black man can't do it by himself. Nope. That pretty much is evident. It's evident, and you cannot enlist the loyalty of black women with this kind of talk. You cannot. You are literally spitting. See, I I watched this thing with the – let me just just finish. I'll be through in a second. I watched this thing, and I watched how they play the hand, how the white supremacists play the hand of getting the victims to focus on each other, getting this uh, black, this non-white female juror to somehow – all of a sudden, she's the conversation. Rachel Gentile, the witness, is the conversation. But I haven't heard boo about these white female jurors who are the main ones that decided the fate of Trayvon Martin's killer. And so I watch how the, the system just cleverly, 
you know, pits, pits us against each other. They're putting more pressure on black people. We've got to make a choice. Either we're going to fall for the kind game that we are enemies or we are going to over. See, all of us can get on here and talk about our personal experiences. I could get on here and rant and rave all day long about the things I've gone through with men. I don't do that. You know why? Because I'm not the, I'm not the important part in this race, counter-racism uh, situation or attempt. Well, my personal experience have been, makes no difference, don't matter. And if I'm going to judge all black men by the black men that maybe didn't treat me so well, by the black men that maybe in the street they have harassed me, then I might as well stop doing what I'm doing. So I'm saying I'm really, I'm really shocked at this conversation, but I'm not really shocked because this is what victims do. And this is what black victims have been taught to do is victimize each other. So carry on. Context of white supremacy. Mm. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast. (laughs) Ooh, let me get my composure. Let me get my composure. That broadcast, July 31st. I can't even get my composure together. I'm going to start again. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's day, Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. So I have been told that broadcast, July 31st, 2013. Woo. Mm, mm, mm. Infamous. Ten years of the cows. There are very few programs that I can recall over that ten year stretch. We're talking about close to 2,000 broadcasts. There are very few that I can remember. (laughs) Wow. That was an unpleasant broadcast. Oh, man. The... And then all of the emotions that I had, and they were all unpleasant at the time, to reflect back five years and to hear that and think, oh, that's so funny. That program, Dr. Shahrazad Ali was a guest. That was her second visit on the cows. We were talking about what everybody else uh, in the world was talking about at the end of July 2013, Trayvon Martin. They just had the trial for the murder of Trayvon Martin. His killer was acquitted and talking about all the brouhaha and everything about that. Dr. Shahrazad Ali was a guest on CNN, what seemed like to me every day, at least during the weekday, to talk about the trial and racism and mostly to have her squabbling with other black people. Ha ha ha. Um, So we had her on the program to talk about the case because people had been seeing her on CNN for the whole month, basically. So we had her on. We talk about Trayvon Martin for the entire time she's with us and the trial, various you know degrees of it. She leaves. Mr. Nero, longtime listener, he calls in to talk about something totally unrelated about relationships, black males, black females not getting along, his perspective that there is a quote unquote syndicate of black females out to get black males uh, and how... Uh, <laughs> It was a lot of things. You had to go in to listen to it, how he uh, would 
I think a part of his code included that he would be okay with some sort of uh, physical punishment uh, of a black female. I think using his words, he said he would wear her out under certain uh, circumstances. Uh, so this went on a lot of dialogue where black males were talking about their frustrations with black females. Uh, then later on in the program, some of the black females called in to give some of their perspective. Uh, Pam called in, as you just heard. Wow. Wow. For so many reasons, so many things that she said stand out, particularly uh, in the context of doing our book study on black love is a revolutionary act. Woo. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting, especially what she said about the general tendency, which I agree with the focus no longer is on whites. We just end up squabbling, blaming, bickering with one another. That is very, very common, something to be on the lookout uh, in the system of racism. Also, the tidbit that she said about would it be entertained if black females were speaking from that perspective and, and blaming and castigating black males. From my perspective, uh, having read this book now more than once, could be happening in this very book. In fact, I think I said unequivocally, it is happening in this very book. We will proceed. Context of white supremacy. Seventh book study session on Pamela Evans Harris. Her second publication, Black Love, is a revolutionary act. We are in the middle of chapter 36, audio segment number one. Myth number nine, black females are jealous of white females. This accusation is often leveled at black females by white females and black males who are sexually involved. However, the true emotion is not jealousy. It is resentment, the same resentment anyone would feel if they are unfairly stereotyped and rejected by the members of their own group. In reality, the jealous black female is the most tolerant of white female black male relationships and is the most likely to welcome a black male white female couple to her home. She is the least likely to disown or shun a son, grandson, father, uncle, nephew, or neighbor who dates or marries outside of his race, unlike white males and females who are the most likely to disown or shun a son or daughter who brings a non-white, especially a black, partner home. The jealous black female is also the most likely to continue to support black male entertainers who do not date or marry black females, unlike many black males who stop supporting Halle Berry after her on and off screen sexual relationships with white males. It is a certainty that any white entertainer who refused to date white people would lose the support of their white male and female audience. There is one more thing the jealous black female is less likely to do covet the men and babies of another group as her own. Unlike the white female who has a well-deserved reputation for coveting and claiming black males and black babies as her own. It seems that the jealous black female may be the least jealous when compared to white females, white males, and black males. White females can sex niggers and still be racist. The white female knows she is superior to everyone else because she is white. She's superior to black males because she is a white female. White females will submit sexually to black males and admits that blacks are superior to her sexually, but she knows that her white skin gives her social and special privileges. 
a white female can be a white supremacist and sex niggers at the same time. Many white females hate black males but love black cocks. White Female Supremacist, Der Cosmonaut, 1972 Myth number 10. A white person in an interracial relationship cannot be a racist. This myth is the most deceptive and dangerous of all 10 interracial myths because it gives the interracially involved black person a false sense of security, making them less likely to recognize racism and less able to protect themselves even when their white partner is practicing racism against them. Overall, whites benefit more from interracial relationships than blacks. To understand why, let's examine the psychological benefits of being a superior white person in an interracial relationship with an inferior black person. 14 hardcore reasons some whites pursue sexual intercourse with blacks that have nothing to do with love, but have everything to do with racism and white supremacy. Number one, the Beauty and the Beast syndrome rape fantasy allows the marginally unattractive white female by white standards her best and often only opportunity to feel feminine, desirable, and attractive. Regardless of her appearance or intellect, she will always be superior to the black male she is involved with, something she cannot assume with a white male. She may see herself as the white prize who has sacrificed her pure white femininity to the hypermasculine, hypersexual black male beast, a real-life version of King Kong. It is a common fantasy among white females and males to imagine or create a situation where the white female is being taken, raped by a black male beast, which explains the appeal of King Kong movies for whites. In other words, her attraction to the black male may be based on a racist movie fantasy and may be a form of human bestiality. The tip-off of a supposedly colorblind, racist white female is she is only attracted to dark-skinned black males. The clueless black male is flattered by the white female's attention and is unaware that the same bestial stereotype used to justify the murder of black males throughout American history is a sexual turn-on for the racist white female. A 30-something black male called an Atlanta, Georgia black radio talk show seeking advice. He said his white female companion wanted him to play the role of a slave while she played the role of a white master mistress. He said she wanted to beat him, mistreat him, call him a nigger, and put him in handcuffs and shackles. She also encouraged him to look more primitive, exposing the racist white female companion's black sexual fetish. Since the winter, I kind of grew out my beard, and she's like, cool, cool, I want you to keep it thick and nappy, and look like, basically, like a slave, and I'm going to beat you and ride you and call you all kinds of degrading stuff. It is possible that the black male caller suspected the white female was a racist because he was worried about going off on her for her racist behavior. Unfortunately, it is also highly possible he had already allowed her to degrade him on multiple occasions and called the talk show for advice only after he became deeply troubled by his own willingness to be degraded just to please a racist white female. Number two, sexual freedom without consequences. The white female is often more sexually uninhibited, more promiscuous with black males than she would be with white males because the white male's opinion of her carries greater weight in her social circle. The sexually aggressive white female knows the black male has no power to destroy her reputation or her social standing in her white community because neither he nor his opinion is welcome there. 
she is more comfortable approaching, pursuing, and sexually experimenting freaking with black males because she doesn't care what the random black male thinks of her sexual or moral behavior. Just like a rich, privileged female doesn't care what her servants think of her sexual or moral behavior because they are not her social or economic equals and are not fit to judge her in her opinion. In the presence of her servants' inferiors, the rich, privileged female is literally free to be herself no matter how low that self might go. Even if her servants gossiped about her sex life, who would they tell that mattered? However, in the presence of her equals or her superiors, the rich and privileged woman will put on her company face and be mindful of what she wears, drinks, eats, drives, and says. The white female's burning desire to be sexually free has caused the white female collectively to have a somewhat well-deserved reputation in the black community for being promiscuous, sexually loose. It is a common sight in nearly every black community to see random white females openly pursuing black males, even total strangers, for no-strings sexual encounters. The white woman who goes after black men is a white bitch in heat, White women turn to black men when their sex drives kick into higher gear and their social inhibitions recede into the rearview mirror. It's a, yes baby, now I'm ready for you, reaction. Susan B., 40 plus, white female. A white woman explains why she prefers black men by Susan Crane Bakos, volume 18, issue 50, December 14th through the 20th, 2005. It is unheard of for black females to cruise white neighborhoods, bars, and parks for anonymous sex with white male strangers. Perhaps the white female's sense of white entitlement, white power, emboldens her to feel welcome in non-white communities or anywhere else she chooses to roam. Her right for sex on demand from black males is confirmed by the ever-eager black male who sees the white female's promiscuity as a character asset instead of a character flaw. In fact, a promiscuous black female is more likely to be condemned by black males than a promiscuous white female. I was talking to a black female friend, and the subject of white women came up. She knew I had dated white women in the past, and asked how long it took before we had sex. I told her, usually it was their idea and happened the first night because white females were more laid back about sex. She said, if a black female had sex with me on the first date, would I call her laid back or a hoe. I had to admit, she'd be a hoe. Ronaldo, 37. Some black males praise the white female for her sex without strings approach, but few understand that the white female's lack of drama may be due to her lack of sincere interest in him as a man and an acknowledgement of his inferior status as a non-white male. They, black women, resent our taking their men, but in truth, black sisters, we're after sex, not the ring, and these guys aren't the Marian kind anyway. A white woman explains why she prefers black men by Susan Crane Bakos, Volume 18, Issue 50, December 14th through the 20th, 2005. Number 3. Using black males to get revenge against white males. A white female who has been emotionally or sexually abused by her father, male relative, or white males in general, may develop a hatred for white males and may seek revenge by flaunting her black male lovers. Since the father is the girl's first and most important role model, the white female who shuns all white males is a major tip-off of a dysfunctional upbringing or personality. 
Some white females use black males to get revenge against the white male even though she knows the black male will pay the price for her betrayal in the form of job losses, incarceration, and in some cases, loss of life. Number four, a shortage of heterosexual white males. The shortage of single heterosexual white males has forced some white females to pursue non-white males for sex, romance, and companionship. This is especially common for white females who are past their physical prime where white males are concerned or who are less attractive than their white female competition. Number five, the superior position in the relationship equals control and power over a man. Being in a relationship with a male that she can control is very empowering and satisfying to the white female who feels oppressed in a sexist white male dominated society. She may find the white identified confused black male easier to manipulate than a white male or consider him a temporary fad, a human sex toy dildo, a sexual fetish, a possession to parade around to impress or amuse her white friends or to compete with black females. The white female's expectations of the black male are often lower than her expectations of a white male, which means she can lower her expectations for herself. For the first time in her life, she may feel superior to her male partner. The tip-off? Black men are more down-to-earth than white men. The white female knows the black male is not her equal in a white supremacy system, regardless of all her denials. She knows his hunger for her white validation greatly increases the odds that he will cater to her, try to appease, impress, praise, and please her. The racist, cunning white female often uses that knowledge to her advantage or her amusement by demanding the black male publicly disrespect the black female in her presence to show his loyalty. However, the racist white female will never disrespect the self-hating black male because he does not respect himself. It is her lack of respect for the self-hating black male that allows the racist white female's comfort level, sexual freedom, and feelings of superiority to be greater with a black male than with a white male. Number six, envy and competition with black females. The insecure racist white female often envies and secretly competes with black females. This is due in part to her racist upbringing that taught her that she must be superior to the inferior black female at all costs. Her insecurity may lead her to pursue, capture a black male and flaunt her catch around black females as proof of her white superiority. However, her insecurity is always just beneath the surface. I recall an incident that happened to me when I ran into a male friend who was dating a white woman at the time. When he spoke to me, he addressed me as sister. Later on, he told me his white woman was on him all day about calling me a sister, saying things such as, why don't you call me that? Needless to say, they broke up about a month later. She couldn't accept him being friendly toward black women. Nichelle, 35, paralegal. The insecure racist white female will never admit she is envious of black females, but is quick to accuse the black female of being jealous of her. However, whenever a black female who is sexually attractive or is sexually involved with a white male intrudes on the racist white female's sexual territory, she usually responds with hostility and jealousy. On Saturdays, after shopping, I stop for a cocktail at this really nice bar in the shopping mall. I was having a casual conversation with this affluent-looking white man when I noticed a white female sitting on the opposite side of the bar giving me a why is he talking to you kind of look. This white female was sitting with her friends, but all her attention was on us. 
When she couldn't take it anymore, she got up and sat on the other side of the white man I was talking to. I guess she had too much to drink because she started talking about welfare. The white guy looked annoyed. She looked stupid, and I was bored, so I left. White females can dish it all day long, but they can't take it when their men hit on us. Pamela S., 41, business owner. The racist white female assumes her whiteness guarantees a superior position over the black female when it comes to white and black males and will aggressively assert her superior position if given the opportunity. I ran into Patrice, a black female who lives in my building at Walmart. We were standing in the checkout line talking about jazz when this older white female in the line ahead of us jumped in the conversation. She said she was from Seattle and asked if there were any good jazz clubs in the city. I didn't think much about it until she got all up in my face and started telling me about her man problems. After she paid for her stuff and left, Patrice gave me this nasty look and said she's from Seattle. She's used to black men kissing her ass. After I saw it with my own eyes, I couldn't argue with her. Ernest, 46, repair man. Using deceit to compete. Just like a single female pursuing a married man, a deceptive white female may use the black male's complaints about black females to temporarily transform her behavior to make it appear she is different from better than the black female. However, once her true personality surfaces, the black male realizes a white female is not the ticket to a drama-free romantic life, it is likely that their relationship will bite the dust, like the majority of short-lived black male-white female relationships. It is common for the cunning white racist female having sexual intercourse with a black male to despise, even hate black females and to try to poison him against all black females, a clear announcement that she is a racist. It's like a white woman told me once, black women treat their men like property, white women treat their men like people, even if they don't always agree. Mark black male poster on black website. This leads to an important black self-respecting question for the black male who breeds with the white female. How can a white female who dislikes black females raise a mentally sane black daughter? This may explain why so many black girls with white birth mothers often wind up in permanent foster care or are raised by the black side of the family. One reason for my fear is my own mixed reactions to my daughter. Don't get me wrong, I love her, but when I turn to the mirror in my bedroom to admire us together, I am shocked. She seems so alien with her long dark eyelashes and shiny dark brown hair. She doesn't look anything like me. I know that concentrating on how my daughter looks is shallow, but still, I can't shake off the feeling of unease. Why does she feel so alien? Laurie Turner, a white female currently married to a non-white male. Number seven, the brains and the beast fantasy. This is the white male version of the beauty and the beast rape fantasy, which allows the civilized white male to indulge in his lust for the primitive, savage, whorish, and usually dark-skinned black female. Like the racist white female, the racist white male's attraction to the black female may be based on a racist and twisted form of human bestiality. A luscious mulatto passing, creamy, light brown skin. Was she a whore? From the novel My Days of Anger by James T. Farrell, 1954. Another common white male sexual fetish object is the hot-blooded, sexually immoral mulatto female, a black female with a white parent. She is almost always portrayed in television and in film as a white man's whore who openly lusts after white males. 
The mulatto or half-breed female sexual object was a staple in many early Hollywood films and more recently in movies like Monsters Ball, Halle Berry, and Angel Heart, Lisa Bonet. Number 8. Sexing blacks equals a sexual rite of passage for whites. During and after slavery in the South, the ritual of raping a young black female was the first sexual experience for many white males to vent their lust and depravity on black female slaves to maintain the purity of white females. It is common for a white male to have sex with a black female to round out his sexual resume by putting a black notch on his white belt. The naive black female may believe the white male's interest is sincere, however, our 400-year history of rape contradicts any connection between sex and respect. Sexing a Negro is not the same as respecting a Negro. I can't even count how many white females I've been with, just round it down to about 40. Out of those 40, I know for a fact 30 of them had a man. It started 21 years ago in Texas. Every time this chick got into a fight with her man, she would come over and do me. 21 years later, this 50-year-old white female got her 65-year-old white sugar daddy to pay the bills but keeps calling me late at night to give her some when she knows his old ass is in bed. I have been let in through bedroom windows, back doors, getting a blowjob at a party while her man went to the bathroom, did two cousins one night. I was going with one and in the middle of the night got up and did her friend once or twice a week on her lunch break did my manager's daughter a couple of times and all her mother talked about at work was how sweet and innocent her girl was yeah right lol blackmail poster on black message board i am a white man who prefers to date black women because they are more attractive to me max a white male who posted a comment on a black website article opposing interracial relationships when a black male poster asked Max if he defended his black girlfriends when someone white practiced racism on them, Max never responded. If Max's attraction to black females is sexual, he is one of a million-member, centuries-old white male club that has lusted after black flesh but is unwilling to oppose white supremacy or give up the benefits of white privilege. Why would a superior white person want to have sex with an inferior black, non-white person? One possible answer, if white culture associates dark skin with something primitive, savage, and animalistic, the darkest skinned blacks are the preferred sexual objects for racist whites, then it is logical to assume this sexual desire is not based on love, respect, or admiration, but in fact is a form of human bestiality, sex with animals equals animalistic sex. How do we know this is true? If dark-skinned black people were so highly prized by whites, they wouldn't be the most severely penalized people outside the bedroom. Number 9. Older White Males Who Pursue Black Females It is common to see black females over the age of 40 being pursued by older white males. Many 40-plus black females report they are more likely to be approached by an older white male than a black male of any age. Some Possible Reasons since he has already been married and had his children with a white female, he is free to indulge in his attraction to and lust for black females that he may have hidden during his prime reproductive years because he does not want non-white offsprings with a black female. Mature black females are more likely to have some financial stability and education, are less likely to want more children, and are more likely to have adult children who will not intrude on the white man's sexual activities.
The mainstream media stereotyping of single, desperate black females may lead some white males to assume all or most black females are so desperate they will date, have sex outside their race. Unless he is wealthy or has some professional status, the older white male who is past his physical and sexual prime can get a higher quality black female than a white female simply because he is white. He may feel less pressure to marry from a black female than he would feel from a white female. If an affluent white male marries a black female, he is unlikely to leave the bulk of his estate to his black widow to keep his white wealth from falling into the wrong black hands. Number 10. Envy of and competition with black males. The insecure white male who envies and resents the black male for sexually ravishing the white female may pursue black females to even the score. He may take pleasure revenge in seducing a black female who is involved with or married to a black male or may find it flattering to be involved with a confused black female who disparages other black people, especially black males in his presence, which leads to an important black self-respecting question for the black female who breeds with the white male. How can a white male who fears and despises black males raise a mentally sane black son? Perhaps this explains why so many white males abandon their non-white children. Number 11, trading up. It is easier for the white male or female to get a higher quality black person than it is to get a high quality white person, particularly if they are not considered a prime catch by other whites. In other words, the racial sexual dynamic in a white supremacy system usually ensures that the white person gets the better deal when they choose a non-white person. The white person often only has to bring the ability to function as a white person to the relationship table. The black person must bring tangible assets, education, money, looks, etc. to the table to equalize the union of the superior white person and the inferior non-white person. It is important to understand that the white person always chooses the black person, not the other way around. It is rare for the above average in looks, education, and appearance, white, female, or male, to date or marry a black male or female who is below average by those same standards. Most black males, even successful black males, are usually restricted to the peripheral or undesirable white female population with low or no status who cannot get the same quality package in a white male due to fierce competition from more desirable white females. This explains why an ordinary or substandard white female can catch a Tiger Woods, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, or Montel Williams, but would never have a shot or a chance at a Donald Trump, Bill Gates, or Brad Pitt. This brother Lee lived down the street. He owned his own business and wanted to date me, but he was always making excuses for racist white people, and that turned me off. He started dating this skinny, plain, white female, which surprised me because Lee wouldn't look twice at a bony black woman. One day, I ran into her at the supermarket. I could tell she wasn't comfortable with blacks, or maybe she wasn't comfortable with an attractive black female living so close to her black man. I had a feeling she was racist, and then she said something that confirmed it. Out of the blue, she says, you know, Lee's different from other black guys. I asked her what that meant and she said, well, he doesn't use slang and he's not ignorant. I never told Lee what she said, but after I heard he married her, I wish I had. I doubt if it would have made any difference. Some black men want a white female so bad, they just don't give a damn how racist she is. Pamela, 36, office worker. 
Number 12. Increasing white self-esteem, false ego at the expense of their black partners. The white male or female who is involved with a white-identified self-hating black male or female is well aware of their partner's self-esteem issues. For example, it is common for a black person in an interracial relationship to make negative comments about other blacks, clearly forgetting they are black too. Unbeknownst to the black person, their white partner may view their self-hatred the way one would view a handicap, mental illness, an addiction, or a physical disfigurement like the elephant man. The personality disfigurement of the self-hating white-identified black person may cause the low self-esteem white person to feel superior by comparison. Since a normal white person with healthy self-esteem would be repulsed by a black person who disliked their own race. Rather than helping their black partner put themselves in a better psychological place where they can be self-loving and self-respecting, the white partner often ignores or exploits their mental illness because it guarantees that their black partner will remain submissive to white supremacy and to the whims of their white partner. 13. Enriching white genetics by creating a new race. It is puzzling why so many white females are deliberately breeding with black males even when they have no interest in marrying them until one examines the white infertility crisis. By mixing the stronger genetics of blacks with the increasingly fragile genetics of whites, there appears to be an attempt by whites to create a new race and avoid white genetic extinction. 14. Maintaining the system of white supremacy. Contrary to what some blacks believe, most whites do not care about the tiny minority of disposable white males and females that marry blacks. In fact, the powerful white supremacists take comfort in the high number of successful blacks who take their black wealth back to white America instead of enriching black America. They know these lost blacks, despite their education, talent, and money, will never challenge the system of white supremacy because they are literally married to it. Thirteen hardcore reasons blacks pursue sexual relationships with whites that have nothing to do with love and everything to do with black self-hatred and black inferiority complexes. Number one, black males who believe white females are sexually freer, freakier. Number two, self-hatred, black inferiority complex. Number three, to express hostility toward blacks of the opposite sex. Number four, White validation is white identified and to impress or fit in with whites. Number five, to whiten up their offspring so they won't look too black like them. Number six, for financial gain or exploitation. Number seven, easier to hide homosexual activities from a culturally clueless partner. Number eight, believes whites are more loving than blacks without taking into account this judgment also applies to themselves. Number nine, to get rewards within certain professional and entertainment circles. Number 10, to avoid responsibility for fixing the problems in the black community. Number 11, to avoid fixing what is wrong with him or herself. Number 12, has a genuine attraction to an individual white person where whiteness was not a major factor. However, if a black person is only attracted to whites, he or she is not colorblind, they are color obsessed, and whiteness has everything to do with it. Number 13, because it is easier to love white people. From cradle to grave, blacks are programmed to see whites as superior, smarter, sexier, cleaner, hardworking, and just plain nicer than black people. Being with another oppressed black person doubles the oppression in the minds of a black person looking to escape their own. 
a white partner gives them the white validation denied by the white collective and serves as a soothing lotion that coats hides the truth about his or her existence and the true status as blacks in a white supremacy society loving whites keeps our secrets safe for the black person who is afraid of true intimacy a white person may be a perfect fit an intimate relationship without honesty can only go so deep neither person will ever know the other because neither is being honest about the real differences between them white identified blacks hide the truth about what it means to be black in a white supremacy society and whites don't want to know if a black person cannot be honest with his or her white partner about the racism that defines their quality of life from cradle to grave he or she is not being his or her true self the white person who denies racism is victimizing their black partner and denies they are benefiting from white privilege should be viewed as a racist by their black partner as mr neely fuller jr said about interracial relationships between blacks and whites in a white supremacy system the best it gets is tacky chapter thirty seven omar thornton should be a wake-up call for black america the event on August 3, 2010, Omar Thornton, a 34-year-old black male, walked into his workplace fully armed and shot and killed eight of his white co-workers at Hartford Distributors, a beer delivery company in Hartford, Connecticut. The reason, in the words of Omar Thornton, you probably want to know the reason I shot this place up. They treat me bad over here, and they treat all the other black employees bad over here, too. So I just take it into my own hands, and I handle the problem. Transcript of Omar Thornton's 911 call, 10.20 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, August 5, 2010. Dispatcher, State Police? Thornton, is this 911? Dispatcher, yeah, can I help you? Thornton, this is Omar Thornton, the, uh, the shooter over in Manchester? Dispatcher, yes, where are you, sir? Thornton, I'm in the building. Uh, you probably want to know the reason why I shot this place up. This place is a racist place. Dispatcher. Yep, I understand that. Thornton. They treat me bad over here, and they treat all the other black employees bad over here, too. So I take it into my own hands, and I handle the problem. I wish I could have got more of the people. Dispatcher. Yeah, are you armed, sir? Do you have a weapon with you? Thornton. Oh, yeah, I'm armed. Dispatcher. How many guns do you have with you? Thornton. I got one now. There's one out, one out in the uh, the uh, factory there. Dispatcher. Yep. Okay, sir. Thornton. I'm not going to kill nobody else, though. Dispatcher. Yeah, we're going to have to have you surrender yourself somehow, not make the situation any worse. You know what I mean? Thornton. These cops are going to kill me. Dispatcher. No, they're not. We're just going to have to get you to relax. Thornton. I'm relaxed. Just calm down. Dispatcher, to have you, you know, turn yourself over. Thornton, we're just talking. You're going to play something on the news. You know I'm going to be popular, right, inaudible, the right thing. SWAT team just rolled by in army gear. You don't know where I'm at, but I don't know. Maybe you can trace it from this phone call. But yeah, these people here are crazy. They treat me bad from the start here. Racist company. They treat me bad. I'm the only black driver they got here. They treat me bad over here. They treat me bad all the time. Dispatcher, this is a horrible situation. I understand that. Thornton, 
You don't need to calm me down. I'm already calmed down. I'm not going to kill nobody else. I just want to tell my story so you can play it back. Dispatcher, you're going to help me get you out of the building, okay? Thornton, all right. I'm a... I get... Don't worry about that. I got that taken care of. I don't need anyone to talk me into getting me out. Dispatcher, where are you in the building, Omar? Thornton, I'm not going to tell you that. Where they find me, that's when everything will be over. Dispatcher, yeah, just, you know, where are you located? Are you up in the offices? Thornton, where they fired me, everything be all right. Manchester itself is a racist place. Dispatcher, yeah, now, um, what time did you get there today? Thornton, um, it was about seven o'clock. Dispatcher, yeah, this morning? Thornton, yeah, about 7 a.m., yeah, they told me to come early today. Dispatcher, what type of weapon do you have? Thornton, I got a Ruger SR9 15 shot. Dispatcher, a Ruger SR9? Thornton, automatic, yeah. Dispatcher, is it a rifle? Thornton, no, no, it's a pistol. I like pistols, too. They are my favorites. Dispatcher, now, uh, you're going to make the troopers and the people come in and catch you? You're not going to surrender yourself? Thornton, well, I guess, I guess, uh, maybe I'll surrender? Nah, they come and get me. Have them come and get me. Dispatcher, yeah, we wouldn't want to do it like that, Omar. You know, it's already been a bad enough scene here this morning. We want you to relax. Thornton, I'm relaxed, though. I'm done. Dispatcher, yeah, we don't want any more, any more, uh, you know, people to lose their life here. Thornton, I'm not going to kill nobody else. Dispatcher, okay. Thornton, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. They're going to have to find me. Probably use some dogs or whatever. I don't know what you're going to do anyway. Dispatcher, how much ammunition do you have with you? Thornton, I got a, I shot uh, oh? Dispatcher. What was that? Thornton. It's all right. I guess it's got me. I have to take care of business. Tell my people I love them, and I gotta go now. Dispatcher. Omar, I really want you to help me stop this situation, okay? Thornton. Okay. Dispatcher. If you work with me, we'll get this to stop, okay? Omar. 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 Okay? To others, still alive. Within minutes of making that 911 call, Omar Thornton supposedly killed himself, although it appears he may have been shot by a sniper. The Aftermath According to company officials, Thornton was caught on surveillance video stealing beer on a previous occasion. When the company offered him a choice of being fired or resigning, Thornton signed the resignation papers and was being escorted out of the building when he opened fire. An unidentified female who claimed to be acquainted with a close friend of Thornton's allegedly wrote a statement that said Thornton was set up and added that the videotape used as evidence of him stealing did not show an actual theft taking place. Four critical questions. One, if Thornton was stealing from his employer and this theft was captured on videotape, why hasn't the tape surfaced in the media? This would give more weight to the claim by company officials that Omar Thornton was fired for just cause. The media has aired controversial videos in the past, the police beating of Rodney King, and a video of a Chicago cop beating a white female bartender who refused to serve him more alcohol. Number two, 
Does the videotape show Thornton stealing cases of beer, putting them into his personal vehicle, or does it show him moving beer from one location to another, a normal part of his job as a warehouse driver? 3. If company officials allowed a black employee to be tormented the way Omar Thornton and his witnesses claimed, would the same officials be capable and motivated to manufacture a reason to fire him? 4. If Thornton was set up and unjustly accused and fired after being severely mistreated on a daily basis by racist whites on his job, does this explain the kind of rage that triggered a mass murder? Unfortunately, Thornton's accusers are the only people who are capable of revealing the truth, and they are sticking to their story. Regardless of the facts, this following axiom holds true. Axiom number six, the black victim equals a victimless crime theory. A black person in a conflict with a white person or a white system cannot be the victim in a white supremacy society. The black individual is always at fault, regardless of who initiated the conflict or what facts or evidence is presented. Our analysis. This is not intended to condemn Omar Thornton, who was clearly a victim of racism, white supremacy, or to condone his decision to take eight lives. A tragedy like this demands compassion for both parties be balanced with truth and logic. However, what needs to be said in the interest of promoting justice must be said, even if it offends or hurts feelings. The reader is free to agree or disagree with what is written here or anywhere else in this book. We have done our best to be fair, to tell the truth, and to be correct in what we understand and know to be true. Only two options, submit or resist. There are only two options for blacks who engage in sexual intercourse with whites within a white supremacy society. To submit to white supremacy, to resist to white supremacy and self-destruct. Omar Thornton is a classic case of the inability to submit and resist at the same time. In other words, it is impossible to lay down with the human face of white supremacy at night and get up in the morning and effectively fight it any more than you can go up and down at the same time and not rip your body apart. Submitting and resisting white supremacy at the same time will rip a black mind apart. The following is a fictional story based on the facts that have been reported in the mainstream media and is in no way intended to defame any real human beings. This analysis is the product of the author's imaginations in our attempt to illustrate the psychological dangers of submitting and resisting white supremacy. Imagine this. The first emotion black male A has when he wakes up in bed next to a white female is a feeling of dread knowing he must go to a job where he'll be subjected to the same racism from his white co-workers and bosses that he has dealt with for over three years. On his way to his job assignment, he stops in the men's room. On the bathroom wall, he sees racist graffiti on the wall that says, Kill All Niggers, and storms out to find a supervisor. The white supervisor blows him off and tells him to stop being so sensitive. That's the problem with you people. When Black Mel A tells his union rep about the incident, he gets the same callous response and is told the union will look into that trivial matter when they get the time. For the rest of the day, Black Mel A is in a quiet rage as he experiences more on-the-job sabotage and racist comments from his co-workers. He is aware that his co-workers have already heard about the incident that morning because the consensus around the warehouse is he was another nigger playing the race card. After a long day of being mistreated, 
black male A returns home to a white female who does not and cannot understand what he is going through, even if she tries to sympathize. He knows she will never understand, and he dared not tell her about the growing hatred in his heart for white people. Black male A tosses and turns at night while his white female sleeps peacefully by his side. He will wake up exhausted in a few hours to face another torturous day with racist whites who want to rob him of his ability to feed, house, and clothe himself. When the alarm goes off, he showers, gets dressed, and kisses his white female companion goodbye before he leaves to face what is starting to feel like an army of hostile whites who despise him because he is black. That night, Black Mel A engages in sexual intercourse with a white female, white supremacy wearing a human face, for surely part of her appeal, perhaps all her appeal, to that tortured black soul lies in his secret and childlike belief that having a white female will make him more human to the whites who despise his black skin. However, his white female companion cannot deliver the one thing he so badly needs, white acceptance, safety from racist whites, but he cannot bring himself to blame her, so he must blame himself for not measuring up. Black male A tries harder to be the best black man he can be because he is not allowed to be just a man, but is always on trial, always being judged wherever he goes. Even when he goes into a store, he is the most likely person in America to be followed by store security. Even wearing a business suit, he is the most likely person in America to cause a white female to hold her purse and her thighs tighter if he walks into an elevator. And when he shops at the local supermarket with his white female, there are always white eyes judging and condemning him. Black male A is still determined to be the best black he can be, which is why he avoids associating with other blacks socially, especially black females, because their presence confirms his worst fears. Too much black is not a good thing around whites. Black male A is exhausted, trying to be the good black man because he is not allowed to be just a man. He is exhausted because he has given his all, his time, love, sex, and money, and is receiving less in return. Black male A does not complain when he is financially exploited or physically assaulted by his white female companion because his need to be accepted is stronger than his fear of being abused or taken advantage of. He would never make this kind of Herculean effort for a black female, not because he dislikes black females, but because he has nothing to prove to someone who cannot offer him the white validation he desperately needs. With a black female, he can be just a man, take off his mask, and be himself. He is not always on trial for the wrongness of his skin color, but will always be fully human to the black female. If he is lucky enough to find a compatible black female partner, he will get in exactly where he fits in. But black male A does not know that. Instead, Black Mel A continues the feudal cycle of going to the racist white union reps and racist white bosses to complain about his racist white co-workers, then returns home to his racist suspect white female to complain about other racist whites. Whatever comfort he needs to soothe his mind and spirit, he cannot find at work or at home. Because he has separated himself from his only true ally, the black female, he has no psychological or physical defenses from the wrath of white supremacy. Black male A lacked the perspective that could only come from those who have walked in his shoes, another black person, 
who could have warned him that being in a sexual relationship with a white female might antagonize his white male co-workers and cause them to retaliate against him. Unfortunately for black male A, black friends, lovers, spouses, etc. cannot validate the white identified black person who desperately seeks white acceptance. His days are surely numbered as he attempts to resist white supremacy by day and submit to white supremacy every night until that day comes when his black mind splits apart at the seams and black male A is driven to pick up a gun and kill his tormentors and possibly himself. Black male A's attempt to submit and resist white supremacy at the same time led to a tragic case of psychological suicide and mass murder. A less fatal example of submission and resistance to white supremacy via interracial sex. On August 10, 2010, a black female called the Dr. L Talk radio show for advice on how to handle her growing resentment towards her white husband of three years who did not defend her when other whites, his friends and family, made racist comments about blacks practicing racism in her presence. Unfortunately for the black female caller, Dr. L, a white female, seemed less sympathetic and in fact used the word nigger 11 times during the call, which she justified by saying black guys use that word all the time. She warned the black female caller not to NAACP me. If you're that hypersensitive about color and don't have a sense of humor, don't marry outside of your race. During a CNN interview, the black female caller said, I was calling to get some help and I did not expect to hear the things that she said to me. I didn't want to turn this into a racial thing. I just wanted some advice. Our analysis. There are only two psychological options for blacks who engage in interracial sex with whites within a white supremacy society. To submit to white supremacy, to resist white supremacy, and self-destruct. The following is a fictional story based on the facts that have been reported in the mainstream media and in no way is intended to deframe any real human beings. This analysis is the product of the author's imaginations as we attempt to illustrate the psychological dangers of submitting and resisting white supremacy. Imagine this. Black female B turned to her white husband, then another white person, a talk show host, to complain about her husband's racist white friends and relatives. Black female B's submission to white supremacy is rooted in her denial that her white husband could not be a racist if he married a black female. Despite her claim that she is happily married, it is obvious her resentment towards her white husband had been building up for some time. The black female bee's resistance to white supremacy was the act of confronting her white husband about his silence when his white friends and relatives practiced racism against her. After getting no support from her white spouse, she asked another white person, a talk show host, what to do about the racism other whites were practicing in her presence. Black female bee does not understand or refuses to accept that even a white person who is married to a black or a non-white person is still a racist if he or she is practicing racism against their non-white spouse or other non-whites. Her husband's silence speaks volumes and may be a crime of omission by remaining silent while other whites practice racism against his black wife. It is also possible that he allowed his friends and family members to do his talking for him. It is likely black female B's husband had practiced racism in her presence before they were married and that he practiced racism against other blacks and non-whites when she was not around. If this is the case, 
one can imagine his thinking might go something like this. What's up with this naive black female? She's in my world, and racism white supremacy is part of my world. I will never take her side against my white people. After she is long gone, I will still be white, will always be white, and will continue to enjoy the white privileges that have been guaranteed me from birth. In order to continue receiving those benefits, whites must practice racism against non-whites. My white peer approval and white privileges matter more than this marriage, which my friends and family said should have never happened in the first place. Doesn't she know she has to adapt to the ways of white people if she wants to be with a white person? White people don't have to adapt to the black world because we have all the power. If this black female wants this marriage to last, she must adapt to my white world and keep her mouth shut about racism because I'm just not interested in that information. The talk show host's advice essentially amounted to the same thing. You naive black female, you made the choice to be with a white man, so you must adapt to his our world, and his our world is based on white dominance and black submission. That's the deal, and the bed you made by marrying a white man, and you must lie in it, lumps and all. Why a white man would marry someone black, like you, with all the nice single white females around, totally disgusts me. So if you're experiencing racism, suck it up, because I'm just not interested in that information. Unless black female B examines her real reasons for marrying a white male who does not defend her from whites who are practicing racism against her in his presence, there is a good chance she will get involved with another white male if she ever divorces her current husband. The bottom line, anyone who condones your mistreatment is not your friend. Anyone who condones your mistreatment should never be your friend. Anyone who condones your mistreatment cannot be trusted. If you are sleeping with someone who allows you to be mistreated, you are sleeping with your enemy, not your ally. Based on our two fictional stories, what do black male A and black female B have in common? It is likely both dated whites exclusively prior to their last relationship. Both possibly believed in being involved with a white person would make them more acceptable to other racist and racist suspect whites. Both confided in whites about the racism they were experiencing from other whites and neither got the support they needed. Neither understood that it is impossible to serve two masters at the same time, white supremacy and black normalcy. Engaging in sexual intercourse with whites blinded both to the hardcore truth. Sexual intercourse with whites does not eliminate or offer any protection against racism. Maximum Emergency Compensatory Justice According to Neely Fuller Jr.'s book, The United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept, a textbook workbook for thought, speech, and or action for victims of racism, white supremacy, the ninth area of people activity is war. The book explains the maximum emergency compensatory justice, which is defined as the willful, deliberate elimination of one or more racist white supremacists through death and the willful and deliberate elimination of self through death by a victim of racism, non-white person, acting alone, acting according to a detailed plan, and acting only after he or she has judged that he or she can no longer endure the effects of racism and or that he or she is no longer able to effectively promote justice except by eliminating one or more racist and by eliminating his or herself as a subject to the racist.
Mr. Fuller's book in no way promotes violence but recognizes the pressure cooker of racism that can make its victims react in violent and unpredictable ways. Why Omar Thornton is a wake-up call for black America. There are thousands of black male A's and black female B's in America who are having sexual intercourse with whites without understanding how sex is used as a weapon to maintain white supremacy. They do not understand the psychological price they pay when they attempt to submit and resist white supremacy at the same time. The real issue is not whether blacks mistreat other blacks. Certainly whites mistreat other whites. Hispanics mistreat other Hispanics and Asians mistreat other Asians. It is maximum racist aggression disguised as interracial relationships when whites practice racism against their black partners or refuse to come to their defense when other whites are practicing racism against them. The reader is free to accept or reject our analysis and warnings in this book and decide for him or herself whether it is beneficial or destructive to engage in interracial relationships and sexual intercourse with whites in a white supremacy system. However, they should keep in mind that there are only three psychological options for blacks who engage in sexual intercourse with whites within a white supremacy society. Number one, submit, commit psychological suicide. Number two, resist and self-destruct. Or number three, stop having sex with white people until the system of white supremacy has been eliminated. Perhaps I should begin with something obvious something so obvious that it escaped my attention for almost 35 years. All black men are insane. Furthermore, it is safe to say there never has been a sane black man in this society. Almost any living thing would quickly go mad under the unrelenting exposure the climate created and reserved for black men in a white racist society. Bob Teague, author of Letters to a Black Boy. Woo! Mm context of white supremacy i was chuckling when things started i'm still chuckling what am i chuckling about this time i can give you uh the snicker i was contemplating whether or not to ask because when i wrote about this broadcast happening today on a tuesday our book club is normally on a friday when i wrote on facebook about this i said we're doing black love as a revolutionary act today I think this book is flagrantly anti-black male. Hashtag black misandry. I was contemplating whether to ask that question. Is Gus T. Renegade being accurate? People that have been following along in the book club. Is that an accurate assessment of the reading? And then the last segment. Black men insane. Quoted from another black male. But I mean, hey, we can all get quotes from, you know, wherever. But that is the end of our segment. Black males, every single one of them, at least in this part of the world, insane. Context of white supremacy. So the question, I'm going to definitely ask it again once the second audio segment uh, concludes because I know what's coming up. Uh, So is that an accurate assessment? Is this a flagrantly anti-black male text? All of the folks that chime in, that is the cost of participating. You can, in fact, you can give two answers. You can give a, an initial assessment based on what you heard today and what we've read thus far up to the book. 36 chapters worth. 
and then I'll ask it again once we finish the next chapter. Whew. Man, I'll ask it again. The number 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. We haven't been on the air in almost a week. No compensatory call-in. We didn't do workplace racism. Was ready to roll to get on to talk about other things, but I will say in the interim, since I've been doing prenatal yoga teacher training, which is worth a whole broadcast, wow. But I was really thinking about getting back to the book club, like, wow. I cannot believe <laughs> what I've been thinking about this book. It's been so long since I read it, and... What we talked about last time, I was very eager uh, to get back to the book club and to get rolling, especially when I started looking at what, you know, was in some of the sections today. Number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. And again, this is all Pamela Evans-Harris. Long-time investor, long-time listener, context of white supremacy, passed away earlier this year. That is the whole re uh, reason we are reading this text. Definitely make sure to keep that in mind and remember, but, you know, that does not mean not reading counter-racist material uh, to make sure that it's accurate, that we're getting constructive information and using our brain computers to make sure that we are processing things in a logical manner. Folks who dialed in, this is not a broadcast for spectators because I am very interested, particularly for people, if this is your second time reading the book, if you read it first time around, maybe if you read it a while ago, definitely interested in hearing if there are people who say, hey, Gus, you are flagrantly misrepresenting the late Pam's work by saying that it is flagrantly anti-black male. You are misrepresenting her work. Uh, that is a gross mischaracterization. This is why. Let's get that perspective on the air. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Retired five. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Lines open, sir. Uh, I would say uh, there are a lot of uh, instances uh, so far in the uh, in the text uh, that uh, supports your thought. Uh, I would say that uh, I am quite. Uh, used to it. Uh, basically, uh, the way I the way I make an analysis of it is that uh, uh, pain, frustration, uh, confusion uh, is a byproduct of the weapon of racism, white supremacy, and in turn, uh, it is going to be displayed. Uh, in many different ways, primarily on uh, fellow victims, 
no matter no matter how uh quote unquote conscious someone uh is uh as far as they're concerned uh they not they may not even be fully aware of it uh i have seen it uh i have seen it with uh black males in regards to black females and i've have seen it black females in regards to black males i have actually been a uh a uh, uh involved in that type of negative behavior myself uh although i have been working as as best as i can to uh uh stop it within myself which which is really i would say for the most part <laughs> the person the only person that i really can be effective with in uh uh, solving that problem is with myself uh when I notice it in myself uh, but uh, as I mentioned before i've i've seen it seen it a lot uh I would say as far as black males having that type of potential uh the only the only thing that black males temporarily have over black females is physicality i would say. And I used I put emphasis on the word temporarily. Uh, I would say in the youth ages, this, the quote unquote youth ages, uh, which is somewhere around, uh, I would say when uh, people start to get uh, around and around close to their teenage years, uh, but and at its height, at its height, at the height of their physicality, it may be somewhere around. Uh, I would say between late teens and uh, uh, late teens to let's say uh, in the in your in the forties, but uh, being that black males' health declines at a, in my opinion, I could be wrong. Somebody need to tell me if I'm wrong or not. Uh, uh, black males' health declines at a rapid stage more than black females. Uh, black females live being that. Black females live longer. I would say uh, that uh, physic physicality uh, uh, starts dropping off, uh, you know, uh, on a very accelerated rate, uh, as far as that concern. Uh, and with a being of that such, I don't see a lot of the things that uh, I hear, especially when another non-white person gets angry. They don't even have to be angry, to tell you the truth, when they start spouting some of the, some of these things that I be hearing. But nevertheless, I, uh, uh, it, it only takes place in that short period of time. Uh, but uh, that's my my analysis on it. Uh, some of the things that she's she's saying in the book uh, makes sense, and uh, it's based on logic. But uh, yes, I, I have heard it, uh, not only with this book, but also with other real life people's people in my uh, personal realm of interaction. Uh, and a lot of it is just like what I think Pam mentioned in the book is based on it's based on because of the person's personal relationships and how they have not went well. But that that's an obvious, uh, obvious uh, reaction 
to the system of racist white supremacy. Like I heard Mr. Fuller said, it's never going to be a relationship between black males and black females. Or any really, it's never going to be what it's, what it's supposed to be under a global system of racist white supremacy. Uh, so it should be expected in turn. That's why the constant practice of codified understanding and behavior is so vital and we have to personally uh, do a self-evaluation of ourselves on a daily basis uh, to correct uh, our behavior and activities and the way we think uh, to, uh, and in turn, uh, that would uh, help, to help, that, help this problem as far as that concerned, as opposed to uh, displaying some sort of uh, some sort of uh, uh, negative dialogue against the the other the other group the other group uh, males females females males that type of stuff is not really good and it definitely works to help the system of race and white supremacy and that's all I have to say for right now thank you much obliged retired firefighter uh, other folks, if you have commentary, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND, press star 61 if you would like to participate. I know I uh, disrupted the uh, schedule with the teacher training, which I'll have to talk about that later, but that'll be constructive. I look out for other uh, hands as we proceed or I'll pick along as we go. Uh, call her at 6979. Uh, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. Hello, can, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, I had a, um, it's been a long time since so I've listened to the cows and um, I was listening so far this evening and um, I'm kind of confused um, by your question, and I was wondering if I could ask a question to clarify uh, what you mean when you say that uh, Black Love is a revolutionary act is um, anti-Black male. I was wondering if I could get some clarification. The book that we are currently reading, Black Love is a Revolutionary Act, is it accurate what I said that this book is flagrantly, meaning obviously, anti-black male meaning the way that it's writ uh, written uh that if you read it like oh okay this seems to have a a particularly venomous tone uh against black males specifically does that make sense um yeah the, the your your question is 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 clear um and maybe i'm uh, over complicating it um, when you say um, is the book fragrantly anti-black male, do you mean um, in uh, the author's analysis and her presentation of information about um, uh, involvement between black people and white people that the information, the way that it is, re is revealed um, is itself portrays black men in the negative way? Or, or are you suggesting that the author uh, herself 
um, in her analysis is being anti-black males. I guess that's my confusion. It could be either or. It could be either or. I guess you can, you know, speak to uh, if you have a thought on whether or not it's accurate, if you think it's one or the other or neither or something else uh, entirely. Um, Okay, well, in that case, um, I guess the best I can say right now, having only listened to these these last two chapters this evening and not having ever read the book uh, prior or heard anything prior uh, to, I mean, I was aware of the book, but have only heard uh, these chapters this evening. From what I heard this evening, um, I I guess I can't be sure, um, but I want to say um, no. Because the only reason why I say that is because I think a lot of the um, top like 13 or 14 and things like that um, that were revealed, I think that was constructive information as it talked about the power dynamics between, you know, white males and black females and black females and white males. And, and so in those sections right there, I didn't quite see a kind of venomous flagrant kind of in the analysis of the power dynamics between the white female and the black male, you know, just in those sections, you see them saying, I didn't see anything that indicated that um, either the information being revealed or uh, the author herself was in the analysis trying to, um, uh, you know, establish or perpetuate uh, black males as, um, you know, uh, you know, or disrespecting them or, or portraying them as sort of, you know, um, you know, negative. I didn't get that sense. I didn't get that sense in um, what I heard during like those, those type 14, top, you know, top however many reasons why these things are taking place. And even in some of those excerpts were, uh, that were uh, testimonies or anecdotes. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that taking place. I mean, there was that line in that last anecdote where um, you know the, the testimony indicated. I think that was a testimony, and not uh, and not Pam herself that indicated that uh, all black men are, are crazy or something like that. So when I heard that, um, that kind of that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it seems sort of outside of what seemed very constructive analysis of those so-called interracial dating dynamics with which I'm very familiar with. And I write uh, a lot about those dynamics and having really heard um, Pam's uh, analysis this evening, or uh, I thought it was sort of, it it was in line with a lot of the things that I say, and I am not in the business at all um, victim that I may be. um, And sure anti-blackness resides in me because we live in a system of white supremacy, but having that cop in my brain and checking myself and please having some level of self-respect for myself, I'm not in the business of um, either glorifying black women or um, under glorifying black men for the purposes of of trying to arrive at some analysis I think is constructive for myself and other black people. Um, But I didn't get it. I know that maybe maybe some of the things in other chapters and maybe I have to go back in the archives and, and take a look. And, and maybe have a more informed um, answer. But from what I heard this evening, particularly as it concerned the dynamics of the relationships between black men and white women, um, white uh, men and black women, those dynamics and the reasons why they participate in things like that, I didn't see black men as um, being uh, flagrantly uh, portrayed um, uh, and in a sort of uh, anti-black or misandrous way. Much obliged. That was all you had to say, sir? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to participate uh, more, but yeah, that's all I have for now.
much obliged. Uh, other folks, if Orin, you did say that you had not been listening uh, to the entire book or reading the entire book, that might be might be worthwhile uh, to check out the whole thing. Not that I am recommending this book, not that I'm even encouraging you to read it, but that might inform or change your analysis if you see more. Even if even if you just continue today and hear the second segment, because I said once that ends. I'm going to ask that same question again once we get done with the second segment. Anywho, uh, I'll check the switchboard uh, to see uh, if other folks dial in. If you have a hand up, if you want to answer that question or give any other commentary, feel free. Uh, I will go through some of my own notes uh, on this book. And again, it's been some time since I have read or checked out this book. Uh, that being said, uh, everybody is anti-black uh, to some degree. You can't be a victim of white supremacy and not be anti-black. That being said, um, the section that she started with this week about the jealous black female, that's the way that it's written, uh, black females allegedly being jealous of white women or jealous of black males who are in some sort of uh, sexual arrangement with uh, a white woman i don't know where she got the data from i think we talked about this last week there's no data presented in terms of how are we uh qualifying who is the most jealous how did you arrive at this conclusion is this just your assessment like and i mean even if that's the case this is just your assessment like how did you come to this conclusion that the most jealous or the least jealous uh female is the black female it just uh, that uh, stood out to me. It didn't seem logical uh, when she said that black females or uh, that black males are not watching Halle Berry movies because of her involvement in tragic arrangements. I don't know where the evidence is for that. I'm not aware of like protests going on of black males being out camped outside of movie theaters saying that they're not going to watch. Uh, Halle Berry movies or folks protesting on I'm not aware of that. I am a black male. Uh, if people know about that, you could let me know. Uh, and I've not heard that about other uh, black female actresses who've been involved with uh, white men. Paula Patton uh, is one that I'm thinking of. She was in Precious. I don't remember black males being camped outside of Precious and saying we're not going to be we're not going to see this film because Paula Patton's in it. And at the time she was married to uh, Robin Thicke, white man suspected racist. Um, she had a section where she said that black males are sexually superior to white women in these arrangements, but the white women are superior in all the other realms. I do not think that that is accurate at all, uh, depending on what you mean when you say sexually superior. Uh, my understanding of racism, white supremacy, when you say supreme is that whites dominate in all areas of people activity. Area eight is sexual intercourse, meaning whites dominate in the bedroom as well. Not dominate. They are supreme in the bedroom as well. If Bill Cosby was sexually superior, he would not be in a maximum security prison. In my opinion, I could be in error. Uh, and in addition to saying that black males were sexually superior, it was white people language words are so important it was white people maintain their privileges and benefits i think this broadcast and this particular book is probably 
uh, one of the highest frequencies of the word privilege. And she uses, she and the co-authors use the word privilege in the first book, Trojan Horse, Death of a Dark Nation as well. Uh, I have strongly recommended that victims not use that term. It is not accurate. It does not. Uh, or in fact, it conveys a very wrong way of thinking about what it means to be white and how an individual classified as white has to function on this planet. I've said that uh, stringently for a long time. Uh, she calls black males niggers in the context of this text. And this is not quoting someone else. She says that white women can sex niggers talking about black males specifically. This was not talking about black people in general, including black males, black females, children. She was talking about black males specifically. I am aggressively on the lookout. Now I'm challenging every person who is listening to this broadcast live archive. If you have the book, find the spot where black females are referenced as niggers explicitly just talking about black females and saying that white men sex black niggers talking about black females specifically and i was paying attention closely to that because she does have a section that we just heard where she says white men uh engage in sexual intercourse with negroes talking about black female negroes she didn't say niggers that sort of distinction to me is very significant. It should be the same. It should be consistent. I do that because whites refer to all of us, males, females, as niggers. It should be consistent. Even having something as what some might say is simple as that is extraordinarily significant given the context of not just this week, because I'm not saying this text is uh, flagrantly anti-black just based on what I heard this week. I'm saying that based on what I've heard. This is part seven. We've been here for almost two months listening to this text. Next, she said, ever the ever ready black male, ever ready to have sex with a white woman. Really? Ever ready? <laughs> like with the I mean and even really people that watch a lot of television ever ready that's the energizer bunny like really that's the way that you conceptualize and again when i say flagrantly anti-black men uh, some people may say that that's they think that's true they think that is an accurate assessment black males in general collectively a substantial portion of them they are drop of a dime ready to have sex with a white woman okay same thing that i said last week that is the exact same way that racist man Racist woman, racist child have talked about black males for the entirety of the system of white supremacy and said that it's true. Emmett Till said that it's true. Bill, Bill Cosby said that it's true. Uh, the section on oh, whoa, 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 whoa. a lot more. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll give myself maybe two more. Uh, moments and then I'll pause and see if folks have uh, questions, comments. Maybe I'm not reading things accurately, although this is not the first time I've read this book. Uh, the random anecdotes bothered me extraordinarily. When I say random Eric, uh, anecdotes, there would just be black uh, poster on a random website. Like there was no name for the website, like nothing, just somebody online posting allegedly a black person making a comment about why he's in a sexual relationship with white women or uh, saying something about who he, oh, he, it was a random black poster says that black females treat their partners like property and white women treat their partners like people. I'm sure 
absolutely certain that there is a black person in the universe, maybe even 50 of them, who think that that is true. But if we're writing a serious counter-racist book, I mean, you generally want information that can be verified, evidence, uh, accurate, verifiable evidence, not something random on the, I mean, who knows uh, who could have, you know, written, and it's lots of those uh, in the text. And the pattern is consistently where it's something that's disparaging uh, of a black male. Uh, we talked about that last week where there are a lot of quotes from, or I talked about it specifically, there were a lot of quotes from uh, Dennis Rodman. Okay, if you want to quote Dennis Rodman, fine. VGQ, victims guaranteed qualified. But I mean, wow, when it starts to be lots of lots of quotes from Dennis Rodman, a retired professional basketball player uh, that are supposed to represent the low self-esteem white identified black male <laughs> phrasing that's used in the book regularly. Uh, to me, it seems to suggest that Dennis Rodman is representative of the collective pathologies of black males. Do you think that's true? How is it being presented in the text, particularly not including Dennis Rodman? We're talking about a victim of white supremacy who was contemplating suicide. That gets totally omitted from the text. Uh, continuing. When she gives the reasons, it's a long list of reasons that black people, males and females, pursue sexual intercourse with whites. The number one reason, thinking white women are freakier, and that's what I mean, again, even the significance of that, if you're going to give 13 reasons, and the very first reason is thinking that white women are freakier, in my view, again, it's very lopsided in the presentation, uh, in the text of it's just consistently uh, black males are feverishly. That was the exact word that was used last week. And I talked about that for some time are feverishly and ever ready seeking a white woman. I, I guess you all are around black people on a regular basis. You have presumably black fathers, black brothers. Uh, do you see feverishly ever ready black males who are looking to sex a white woman at the drop of a hat? Is that what you're because that's what I've heard in the text. That's what I've, unless I am, you know, not hearing correctly, I'm not able to read anymore. Uh, just trying to, to evidence why I'm saying this is a flagrantly anti-black male text. Uh, the, I did have one more piece about Omar Thornton. I will pause. Uh, Grant, I'll give out the number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-9434. Three pound press star six one if you would like to participate i guess i'll get in one more comment then i'll check uh, and see if other folks uh, have questions comments if they think i've misread the section on omar thornton pam and i, I think i already played a bit of the audio uh, pam was a guest on the program august 2010 eight years ago we talked about Omar Thornton uh, days after that shooting up in Connecticut took place. We talked about it. We talked about him being uh, in a tragic arrangement with a white woman, which I do think is extremely important. However, I do not agree with the analysis uh, in the book that because he was in a tragic arrangement sexually involved with a white woman, that he went insane because of that, he was sleeping white at night and then resisting racism, white supremacy in the daytime. There have been quite a few illustrations of black people who became upset about racism, white supremacy, and responded with counterviolence. Lavelle Mixon uh, in Oakland, uh, that was uh, 2009, 
uh, if memory is correct. Uh, Mark Essex uh, from the 1970s, Gil Scott Heron, did a song about him. He went and shot uh, police officers down in Louisiana. Uh, Ismail Brinsley, uh, folks remember from 2014. Uh, Micah Johnson, allegedly, uh, back in 2016. How much time do we have to list black people uh, who have got upset and resorted to counterviolence? Uh, and I am pretty sure that not all of those individuals that I just named and countless others, I'm pretty sure that many of them were not in a sexual arrangement with a white woman. The system of racism, white supremacy causes many uh, victims of racism, white supremacy to go insane. I think she, in the section that we ended on said that all black males specifically are insane in the system of white supremacy, presumably not black females. I guess they don't have that affliction because of white supremacy. Uh, but I don't think every single, I don't think just because Omar Thornton was with a white woman, that's what caused it. Uh, she didn't, well, <laughs> I don't think that that's the, uh, what took place there. I think that was just another unfortunate component of how he was being victimized, terrorized uh, in the system of white supremacy. And I certainly uh, do not think that that was a good thing. I am sure that aided in his confusion uh, and the terrorism that he was experiencing. But I mean, wow, there are a lot of other black people who have resorted to counterviolence. Uh, as a result of being uh, terrorized. I even uh, forgot the individual, the Super Bowl. I think that was 2012, Christopher Dorner. How could I forget? Was he in a tragic arrangement as well? I, I just, anyway, I just did not think that that was, uh, an, an, uh, there's a lot more uh, there that could be unpacked than just he was with a white woman and went crazy and shot up uh, a distillery. I think there's a, a much greater analysis uh, of what took place with, with Omar Thornton. Uh, and the counter, I guess I'll, I'll conclude there. Uh, maximum Emergency Compensatory Act. Uh, Mr. Fuller changed it. Uh, it. Used to be Maximum Emergency Compensatory Justice. That is the longest chapter in Mr. Fuller's original code book. I would have to double check on the uh, the updated version, but I know in the original book that was easily the longest uh, section in the book, the section on war and explaining that concept in great detail. And I know that's one that people have had uh, a lot of confusion about. People asked if Omar Thornton was Mecca. It most certainly is not. You're not supposed to be calling other people to let them know uh, what you're going to do and you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it's very, very detailed. It's the longest section of the book. Uh, that's one Mr. Fuller often is cautious uh, about talking about unless he has time to go into the details. So that's one I would definitely encourage since that was brought up to make sure that you read that for yourself to understand it because it's been my experience over a long period of years that many people are confused. They do not have an accurate grasp of that concept as Mr. Fuller. Uh, has illustrated things, and a lot of times they will think that something like Omar Thornton was Mecca, as according to what Mr. Fuller has outlined, and it is not. Um, yeah, that, that, and I guess that we talk a lot about sexual uh, intercourse on this program. I don't think you could talk about racism, white supremacy, and not, uh, but a lot of this text, that for them to have a whole nother book that's explicitly, exclusively focused on sexual intercourse, a lot of this book is focused on sex. I mean, if you want to think of all areas of people activity, wow, there are so many other things. Like when we, and when I talk, I think read last week when she said on Saturday, the compensatory call in for years, I've said, we're not going to talk about area eight at all. Even with the cowbell, we're not talking about that at all 
because I've said it seems to me that this can be a little unbalanced uh, at times. You have many other aspects of how whites practice racism, white supremacy that are equally, if not more important. This sex thing is taking up a big chunk of the book. Yes, there's constructive information there. Yes, I also think it's flagrantly anti-black and how it's presented, but I also think, wow, there are a lot of other aspects of racism, white supremacy that are hugely important use of terms uh, so that we could maybe stop saying white privilege and interracial, unless we're going to put it in quotes. Uh, fair was even used in this section. Use of terms, a uh, huge component, I think, that would help us solve some of these problems uh, and get a better grasp of racism, white supremacy. I think that is every bit as important uh, as understanding why having sex with whites is incorrect. It's just, in my view, not balanced where the focus is in many respects. Uh, did other folks have any commentary? Please let me know if I am not being logical uh, or if I am simply being inaccurate uh, in how I have read, interpreted the late Pamela Evans Harris's Black Love is a Revolutionary Act. Other folks have commentary. If not, we can move along to the second audio and then I can ask my question again once we get done with the second audio segment. But any other folks have uh, questions, thoughts that they wanted to share? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, this is a 6979 caller again. Um, <clears throat> I just, um, you know, I'm uh, listening um, to what you're saying and that's. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm understanding, um, where you're coming from and I'm not, you know, um, attempting to, to make any severe disagreements, but perhaps to sort of make a contribution to maybe a certain perspective of what I, you know, am, am trying, the point of view I'm coming from and, and, and trying to understand what I've heard this evening. And I, like I said before, I want to just put it in context that, you know, I have only listened to what you have, um, uh, uh, aired this evening. I have not um, uh, read or investigated any other parts of the book. I'm just, my comments are based on uh, what I heard this evening and some of your responses, Gus. Um, so the, the part where you mentioned when uh, the author says uh, the, every, the ever ready, the ever ready black male, um, you know, ready to get down with the white female, um, what I focus on in that particular phrase is that the ever ready and how I interpret that is, um, like that, the, that particular kind of black male for whom white female, um, you know, sex is, you know, an addiction, not all black males are ever ready to get down. You know what I'm saying? So when I say, when I see the ever ready black male, the ever ready in that case is a modifier. It modifies the noun of black male. So it's not just black males in general, but that particular kind of ever ready, that particular black male who is, um, you know, uh, super obsessed and, and, and what have you and, and, and is looking for um, to participate in, in, in that kind of behavior. So that's how I how I see that, which is not to negate um, any of the other evidence, pieces of evidence that you brought up that, you know, make you, uh, that you have concluded is that this stuff is um, – flagrantly uh, anti-black male. I'm just sort of like going through some of the things that I heard in, in your responses and just sort of, you know, um, just trying to, you know, offer my, um, offer my perspective 
on that. And so, um, I, you know, listening to, you know, what I did tonight, a, a lot of it struck me, um, um, and maybe I, and I could be incorrect, but it, it struck me as like those particular kinds of black people um, who um, live in communities or live in close spaces with white people. So, for example, I know that you're in Seattle, and I've never been to Seattle, but from, you know, how I've heard you talk and I've heard people talk who I know who live in Seattle, it's, you know, it's a lot of white people in Seattle, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, as, as a person who's grown up in New York City, half of my life around non-white people, black people and non-white, non-black people. And the second half of my life in spaces that are predominantly white and have participated um, when I was uh, very much confused about white supremacy with white females, um, you know, and now that I no longer do that, I'm still in this predominantly white space, which is to say, I work with white people, I teach white people, I, um, when I go out, I'm around white people, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to like a black person who lives in a city where there are white people, and you just go about your black business, and you don't necessarily interact with them in any kind of sort of like, like sort of uh, intimate spaces, and by intimate, I just mean, um, you know, close quarters where, you know, you are constantly having to deal with white people on the regular basis. And I don't have any idea if that's your particular position. But what I see on the ground here in the particular area of the world in which I am in and those black people who, for example, grew up in their formative years around white people. You know, I did not. My formative years were not spent. And I'm saying, for example, uh, those people who did. I just I'm trying very cautious because it seems like we uh are deviating more into like personal narratives and people find lots of ways of de uh, routing away from the text to other things, kind of taking tangents. So the personal anecdote is nice, but hopefully we can get back to the text so this doesn't take up too much time. No, no, no. I totally understand. Um, and so I guess that's, I guess what I'm really trying to say is that a lot of like, you know, um, so for example, the Omar Thornton thing, when um, you were suggesting that, um, like uh, you don't need to be involved in a um, uh, a tragic arrangement. A black male does not need to be involved in a tragic relationship with a white female in order to sort of like you know be psychologically damaged and then take up you know arms against white people, et cetera. And so, I the only sort of response I had to that, for example, of the things I have on the list is just that I think that there are there is a specific kind of psychological damage that does manifest itself. You see what I'm saying? When you are participating in that particular kind of relationship along the spectrum of victimization, you see what I'm saying? So as opposed to the black person who does not live around white people and does not have the intimate experiences, yes, they are also affected by white supremacy. I just think when you are in those intimate pockets with white people, I think that, I'm not saying it's more severe, I just think that it's different. And, it, and, and while I don't think that it is necessary for people to pick up arms, that'd be a reason why. But I just think that they're along the spectrum, I think it's a different kind of, like, you know, racism in the North, and racism in the South. Of course, at the end of the day, it's all racism. But I'm saying the flavor of it is different, and so that's all that I mean um, by that. And as far as the, and this last thing I'll say, as far as the, the comment about um, uh, people posting on whatever sites or uh, Facebook posts or online posts about you know black men giving their interpretation of why black women or whatever they are in relation to white females, um, I spend a lot of time, I don't think so, a lot of time, but I'm involved on Facebook, like infiltrating a lot of these groups, these white female love black men and these black males love white female groups. And it is pervasive, Gus, every single day 
there was, you know, black men who were talking about very explicitly why white women are better than black females in the last 10 seconds. What's also interesting is that sometimes I will pose a question to the white females, why is it that you like black males? And um, even though it is one of those groups where, you know, white females love black men, they never, ever, ever give any reason why uh, black males are better than white males. And that'll be all. I can only emphasize again, uh, the caller uh, conceded he did not read the entire book. This is the only section of the text uh, that he heard. I think that's extremely important for why I'm saying flagrantly anti-black male. I would not accept uh, someone telling me what's being posted online. I would not accept that for a pecan with regards to do I think, what do I think about this in terms of evidence? Uh, Who knows who's writing this content uh, online. This could be racist suspects. And I've said this for years. That's why I've had such a low opinion uh, of whatever people are talking about uh, on social media. To me, that does not stand up at all uh, for scholarly material, how I make an assessment about what's happening on the planet. If other people, VGQ, if other people, if that factors into how you, you know, process what's happening System of racism, white supremacy, that's fine for me. That does not count at all. Uh, And in this text, I didn't even hear any corroborating evidence a lot of times. Sometimes it was just a random posting from a website with no name, no website information, and that was that. Uh, Did any other folks have commentary that they wanted to get in? We will get to audio segment number two, and I'm going to ask my question again. In fact, you can pay attention to the first five minutes exactly where we're starting at here. And this is one. I'm not just saying this randomly. I've read this book more than once. You would have to listen or read this book from the beginning to start noticing patterns that you would see from the very beginning. The anecdotes that you hear in the book. That's why I'm paying attention to those as well. The anecdote that you're about to hear right now. Have you heard these type of anecdotes in this text where it's reversed, where it's a black female uh, that I won't even say anything. We will get to the second audio segment. Black love is a revolutionary act. Pamela Evans Harris, her second publication. She does have co-authors. I guess that should be something to, to point out. There are other people. It's not like uh, Pam wrote every word period apostrophe in this text that is not the case she said that from the very beginning and with every uh book that she put together unless i had been misinformed but she said it repeatedly for years co-authors there's other people that worked uh with uh her not just one person uh to write these books so she didn't put every single you know line together but i did get the impression that she was uh the heavy influence in putting all of these projects together unless I have been misformed. But with that said, audio segment number two, context of white supremacy. Chapter 38, My Kind of Sister, A True Story. A few weeks ago, I was shopping with my wife at a national health foods chain when I observed a conservative-looking black male in his mid to late 20s accompanied by an Asian female who was spooning rice and beans into a cardboard container. 
This young black male, who looked like he wouldn't be caught dead listening to a Snoop Dogg CD, seemed real uncomfortable in his brown skin. Later, as we were walking to our car, my wife said the young black male refused to look her in the eye. Don't get it twisted. My wife, she never stares or glares at interracial couples. It ain't her style, nor is it mine. She will smile and speak to anyone, strangers, white folks, old folks, as long as they don't give her a reason to get in that butt. The reason she refuses to stare, make comments, or roll her eyes at the sight of a black man with a white or Asian female is she hates giving the couple any reason to think she is jealous. She is fond of saying, I got no use for a black body with a white or an Asian brain. My wife's got great people instincts. The proof? She sees right through my ass most of the time. Just like E.F. Hutton, I always listen when she speaks. Lest you think I'm too biased, let me say that interracial dating for black folks would be no problem for me personally if we didn't live in a white supremacy system where blacks and whites are not treated equally. But as long as the white system is waging war against the black community and black children are dying in the streets and unarmed black males are murdered by cop and black unemployment is three times higher than the rest of the nation, including illegal workers, as long as a white man with a criminal record has a better chance of landing a job than a black man with a college degree, as long as 70% of black children are being raised by single, divorced black mothers, as long as almost one million of my people are rotting in the prison industrial complex, as long as black folks don't produce anything, control anything, and are totally dependent on everyone else for what we need, as long as black men should make their own women, children, and community our priority like every real man on the planet, as long as I know black unity is the key to our survival, I will always be against interracial relationships for black people. The main reason the unified Asian, Arab, Indian, Hispanic, and white communities have thriving business and economic basis and safe and sane communities is they have intact, stable families made up of the same race of men and women for the most part. That tells me it's only common sense that black folks better do the same damn thing. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just need a set of our own. Getting back to the story, I started checking out this young brother's body language, wondering why he was so uptight, and started wondering this young brother is real fudged up. He knows somewhere inside his mixed up skull that something ain't right about what he's doing or maybe the reason he's doing it. But he's wrong about that. He's doing exactly what he's been programmed to do, especially if he's got a black body with a white brain that can't think for itself. And don't be fooled by that Asian woman of color bullshit. A brother I know said he married an Asian woman because he was afraid to marry a white woman and look like a sellout. Now, this brother admitted up front that he wasn't in love with his wife when he married her, so colorblind love had nothing to do with it. He deliberately chose a non-black woman because his own black inferiority complex. He thought marrying a non-black female would give him more status as a dark-skinned black male and set him apart from other blacks. Am I saying every black person in an interracial relationship hates themselves? No, but in my experience, 
Most have serious issues with other black people and themselves. Of course, this is just my experience. Getting back to the story. Now, if you ask this young black male why he was so uptight being seen in public with his Asian girlfriend, he will probably blame it on other ignorant, intolerant people. But the fact is, he wasn't comfortable in the role he was playing or with the person he was with when he's got the fudging problem, not the other ignorant people. After all, nobody twisted his arm, right? But he's walking around, trapped in confusion, with that white traffic cop inside his skull, directing his thinking and actions that tell him black is inferior. Just a dazed zebra stumbling in the midst of hungry lions. So he and his Asian girlfriend got into the checkout line across from us, and he still couldn't raise his eyes above his chest. And then I noticed who was standing on the other side of the cashiers, an older black lady in her 60s just staring at his ass like, You little mother fudger. I had to laugh because of the look on her face was fierce. I said to myself, Oh, hell yeah, sister, you got that right. These little Negroes are the same ones you raised from tiny babies who now think they're too good for a black woman. The same black women who birthed them, fed them, burped them, stayed up all night with them, wiped their nosies, messy little black baby asses, or sat in the emergency room at 3 a.m. praying her baby boy's temperature went down, like my mom's did with me. She was the one who cheered him on at his performance as a bunny rabbit at the Easter Sunday church play and years later cheered him on from the stands at his high school games. Not the Asian, Hispanic, or white female. The black woman was the one who worked two jobs, took care of the house, cooked the food, oiled the scabs, combed and braided the hair, ironed the clothes, bought the damn clothes, even if she was a single mom's, and did without, just to put her black son through high school and college, paying for graduations, proms, parties, field trips, jackets, Christmas gear, and student fees, his first car, and sometimes his first condoms. Not the Asian, Hispanic, or white female. I can't count how many black women I know personally who raise their shorties by themselves, which is why I love and respect black women more than any man could love his women, because I had one of those classic moms, and sad to say, I pity any man or woman, black or white, who didn't have a mom's like the one I had. My pops was a good but hard man who grew up back in the day when it was brutal being a black man. He didn't do a lot of kissing or hugging, but showed love by keeping a roof over our heads, food on the table, and even a few toys at Christmas, so I'm grateful to Pops for that. But my mom's was the one who gave us unconditional love. Enough said about that. Back to the story. So this older black lady was looking like, these little niggas got some fudge and nerve to take all that education, money, love, and support that black women invested in them to a white, Hispanic, or Asian female who never once walked in a picket line, never got spit on, never integrated a lunch counter, never got bit by police dogs or blasted by fire hoses or called a nigger to her face or behind her back. They never marched around the police station or around the block because black boys and men were dying in the streets. They never contributed one dime or one drop of sweat to the liberation of black people and never gave a damn or a dime unless there was something in it for them like sex or alimony. 
And they damn sure never rode on a bus for eight hours to Jenna, Louisiana, to fight for six black boys nobody knew from a hole in the ground. And I said to myself, hell yeah, sister, hell yeah, you are absolutely right to make that little Negro squirm with that Asian female on his arm. I bet she was the kind of sister who would stand with her arms folded at the door and refuse to let that black son, brother, or uncle walk in her house with an Asian or white female to eat up her fried chicken, her cornbread, and her collard greens that she paid her good, hard-earned money for just because his black ass was tired of eating Campbell's soup casseroles or hamburger helper or some foreign cuisine that would never take the place of his black mama's soul food. And I bet that tired black sister, who had seen the civil rights movement up closer than most of us, was tired of watching so many tired black sons, uncles, nephews, brothers, and cousins bringing home anybody but a black woman. And she was tired of wondering, is this what we black women march for, scrub white women's floors for, got spit on for, beat for, fire hose for, sacrifice for, and died for? To be discarded by black males like some worthless black trash that had outlived its usefulness? So instead of setting two more plates and checking her hurt feelings at her own door, that righteous sister told that little dishonorable nigga to step until his black ass came correct and brought home somebody who looked like his black mama. And you know what? I had the feeling that's exactly the kind of sister she was. You and I may go to Harvard, we may go to York of England, or go to Alizar in Cairo and get degrees from all of these great seats of learning, but we will never be recognized until we recognize our women. Message to the Black Man in America by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad For Black Folks Who Think Race Doesn't Matter for black folks who think race doesn't matter, the next time you complain about the lack of black unity and the poor quality of life in the black community because you have no protection or immunity from the rogue policemen's reign of cruelty as they shoot down black men like dogs in the street, remember those words that once sounded so sweet, race doesn't matter. The next time you have to go to the white man for a job, with your hat in hand and you can't get a $10 business loan to open up a lemonade stand and you lose your home due to predatory loan programs designed by rich white men who don't get stopped for driving and having black skin, remember those words, race doesn't matter. When a black man can't get a job with a college degree but a white man with a criminal record gets a job like he's crime free, and we can't get no respect as a black man, and even the white female who grabs her purse at the sight of us understands that every man on this planet better have a plan because it's our job to take care of our women and children on our own land. Remember those words, race doesn't matter. When you can't catch a break and you wonder how an empty wallet can stop an empty stomach ache, and we look back and remember who was there when we were little more than a tiny poo bear. Because the first face we'll see in our mind's eye is a black woman with a brown face and a big smile. 
and in our darkest days will recognize our own, and we better pray that our foolish ways have not turned the black woman's heart to stone. So it's time to wise up, my black brothers, and be prepared to pay, because the day of God's reckoning ain't that far away. We better get down on our knees and humbly pray that God will take mercy on our dishonorable ways, because instead of protecting our black women and children, we choose to play sex games with whites and Asians who don't give a damn about our culture or issues. Where we're forced to take a stand? It's a black thing, baby. An Asian or a white woman just can't understand. All she can do is raise confused black children with no true racial identity who will be as useless as a tiger woods when it's crunch time for black unity. So remember my words to my little ditty. A dishonorable man will be shown no pity. Umoja. Recipe number 13. Pit the black male against the black female. Chapter 39. The Blame Game. The blame game, the last recipe of black gender wars, is designed to make black people blame other black people instead of blaming the white people in charge, WPIC. It is crucial black people understand how this game is played so we can neutralize the intended effect, mass confusion and conflict between the black male and black female in the following areas, education, employment, sex, family, HIV AIDS, entertainment, politics. The educational blame game. While black boys are discouraged from pursuing higher education, black girls are encouraged to excel. By the time both each reach adult age, the better educated black female may develop false feelings of superiority and contempt for the lesser educated black male. The educated black female will then face a manufactured shortage of compatible black males to date and marry and will blame black males for not measuring up to her standards instead of asking herself why black boys are more likely than black girls to be placed in special education, excluded from college preparation courses, given the drug Ritalin to curb their natural curiosity, intelligence, and penalized by disciplinary rules that make it easy to expel black boys from the educational system altogether. The less educated black male may develop false feelings of inferiority and blame black females for having unrealistic standards instead of asking himself why so many black males have an inferior education or why he is focusing on the college degreed six-figure paycheck professional black female when she does not represent the majority of black females in America. The black male and female are blaming each other instead of blaming the white people in charge, WPIC, who created a racist educational system that penalizes both of them. The hardest hit group of workers, African American men, were hit hardest again. Their unemployment rate is 17.3%, up from 16.7%, nearly double the 8.9% unemployment rate for white men. Women of both races fared better, 7.1% unemployment for whites, 13.2% unemployment for African Americans. Source, The St. Louis American, September 3, 2010. The Employment Blame Game The myth of the black matriarchy, blaming black females for the unemployment woes of black males. 
in 1965, in the midst of the Civil Rights Movement, when blacks were rising up and demanding equal rights, the U.S. government launched a deadly missile called the Negro Family, the Case for National Action, a.k.a. the Moynihan Report. This racist report, commissioned by Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, used U.S. labor statistics to shift the blame from a racist system onto the weary shoulders of the black female. The black woman had substantial advantages over the black man educationally, financially, and in employment. However, in the 1960s, the majority of black women worked in the lowest paying occupations, teaching, clerical, and domestic work, and were paid less than white males, white females, and in some cases, less than black males. Despite these facts, the black female became a convenient and safe scapegoat for the underemployed and unemployed woes of black males. By linking the professional and educational advancement of black women to high juvenile delinquency levels, high crime levels, poor educational levels for black males, the deceptive report ignored the main reason black females had to work outside the home. The black man was barred from jobs that allowed him to be the sole provider of his family. The condition of poor and unemployed black males was blamed on the powerless black female instead of placing the blame where it belonged, on the white people in charge, WPIC, who created the economic conditions that produced massive black poverty in the first place. The black man was forced from the home. When blacks fled the racist, segregated South and migrated north for a better life, they faced rampant discrimination in employment and housing. Unable to find work that paid a living wage, many blacks were forced to seek government assistance. As more blacks became dependent on welfare, the rules changed, forcing the black man to leave the home if the family received benefits. The black man was stripped of the main thing every man needed to feel like a real man, the ability to protect and provide for his family as the head of his household. Unable to find work, some black fathers and husbands were faced with two gut-wrenching choices. One, stay and let their children go hungry, or two, leave so their wives and children would have food and shelter. Of course, there was a third, more humane and moral option. Allow black men the same opportunity to work, earn a living wage, and support their families the same way white men were allowed to do. That's part of the sexual confusion. With the black females becoming more and more in positions of being the man and the woman, lots of them are becoming just that, so-called bisexual. And black males, a lot of them are throwing up their hands and giving up, and they are becoming females, or want to be, because it's less pressure. Neely Fuller Jr., author of the United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept, a textbook workbook for victims of racism, white supremacy. It is important one fact be firmly established in the minds of all black males and females. Black males and females have no power over anything that happens within the boardrooms of corporate America, including whether they will be hired, promoted, or fired. That being said, only a manageable number of educated black females are allowed to advance ahead of the black male, who may be just as ambitious and capable, but may not be given the same educational and employment opportunities or encouragement and guidance. 
The majority of black males and females in America make less than $50,000 a year because the vast majority of lucrative educational and employment opportunities are reserved for white people. Regardless of these facts, the black male and female still blame and fight each other over a handful of crumbs that fall from the economic table instead of blaming the white people in charge, WPIC, who are practicing economic racism against all black people. The Sex Role Reversal Blame Game The Strong Independent Black Superwoman the black female has been programmed to see herself as a strong, don't-need-no-man, independent, super-black woman, which is a stark contrast to the image of the feminine white female who needs and deserves to be rescued, protected, and financially supported by white and black males. During the 1970s, black women were encouraged by white females to join the white women's liberation movement to fight male oppression, but white females seldom, if ever, talked about the system of white supremacy or how racist white females fully participated in, benefited from, and often led the way in the economic exploitation and degradation of black females. While there is nothing wrong with being strong or independent, too much independence can be a two-edged sword for the strong black female because a superwoman is never rescued or protected. She is always expected to save herself. By constantly reminding the black male of her super strength and superwoman abilities, she is undermining the same black men she will criticize for not being better, stronger men. Perhaps it is time for the black female to strike the phrase, I'm a strong, independent black woman, from her vocabulary and replace it with one that affirms her femininity, feminine strength, and encourages mutual respect between the black male and the black female. I am a feminine, hard-working black woman who respects and appreciates a strong, masculine, hard-working black man. Is the black man becoming extinct? This myth is false for the following reasons. The black man is not a dinosaur. This is not the Ice Age. A species becomes extinct only when nature has selected that species for natural extinction and overpowers that species' ability to survive in its natural environment. If the black man is the most fertile man on the planet, it is logical to assume Mother Nature has not selected him for natural extinction. When the black man is overpowered by unnatural man-made forces like the system of white supremacy, that is not extinction, that is genocide. Only the creator, Mother Nature, has the power to make the black male extinct, not the race's white male and female. The weak, emasculated, extinct black male image. The only free people in America is the white male and the black female. Archie, 58, restaurant cook. Surprisingly, the above sentiment is fairly common among some black males over the age of 40. The question is, how did the white people in charge manage to convince some black males that the powerless black female had more freedom than the privileged white female in a white supremacist society? One answer. The Negro Family, The Case for National Attention, a.k.a. The Moynihan Report, painted a dismal and false picture of the black family as a black matriarchy, a household dominated by aggressive, emasculating black females. In reality, most black households in the 1960s were headed by black males who were largely present in the home. 
Unfortunately, some black males in a desperate attempt to seek psychological relief from and a safer scapegoat for their oppression have bought into the myth-lie that black females are the major obstacle to their manhood instead of blaming the white people in charge, WPIC, who are practicing educational, economic, social, political, and psychological warfare against them. The black community has never been a black matriarchy. In 1925, only 3% of black families were headed by women. The marriage rate for blacks during the Great Depression was higher than the marriage rate for whites, even though blacks were poorer on average than whites. Only after jobs for low-income blacks were replaced by welfare, crack cocaine, high-powered weapons, the war on drugs, and mandatory sentencing for nonviolent drug offenses did black family stability take a nosedive. With almost one million black men, many of them fathers, in prison, the black female was forced to become the head of the household. Make no mistake, the black community is still a male-dominated society. It does not matter that black females head up almost 70% of black households. It is an economic and social reality tragedy, not a cultural choice. Like all males in a male-dominated society, like America, most males in general reject female leadership, and black males are no exception. However, most women, and black women are no exception, actually welcome strong male leadership. In other words, most black men will not follow black women, but most black women will follow black men. The proof? The preacher, the politician, the pimp. Whether it is the church, the meeting hall, or the street corner, black men usually lead, black women usually follow. With few exceptions, black women are the foot soldiers and seldom the generals in most black organizations. Single black women count your blessings, USA Today. Single black women choosing to adopt, CNN. Single black women being urged to date outside race, Washington Post. Marriage is for white people, Washington Post. Why successful black women can't find a good man, ABC News Special. Why can't a successful black woman find a man? ABC Nightline. Black women see fewer black men at the altar. New York Times. Blame game the black family out of existence. Single, childless black female celebrities are rewarded. What do Oprah, Tyra Banks, Whoopi Goldberg, and Wendy Williams have in common? They are rich, famous, single, usually childless, usually manless, and are the best role models for young and impressionable black females that white supremacy can buy. Not only is being single marketed as the best choice for black females, it is being hammered into the heads of hundreds of thousands of frustrated single black females as their only choice. Black fathers stereotyped as deadbeat fathers. Black males have been routinely demonized and stereotyped as the worst deadbeat fathers in the nation, but the most prolific deadbeat fathers in American history were the slave owners who over a 400-year period raped and impregnated millions of African slave women and sold their own children into slavery, without a doubt the ultimate deadbeat fathers. Unfortunately, good black fathers have been rendered invisible in the American media. 
These Missing Images program the black female to see the black male as incapable of fathering his children and programs young black males, especially fatherless young black males, to think being a loving, responsible father is something black men just don't or can't do. Create child support and divorce laws that penalize black males to discourage them from marrying black females. The court systems make divorce and child support proceedings as disagreeable, painful, and punitive as possible to discourage black males from marrying, forming stable families, or parenting their own children. Some black males view marriage or any legal commitment to a black female and their black children, including refusing to sign a birth certificate, as a luxury and a lifestyle they cannot afford. Allow poor black females to benefit from remaining single. After the welfare system was revised to force black males out of the home, the black male-headed household and marriage to a black male became an obsolete concept for many poor black mothers. What is the white government's message to a poor 17-year-old black girl who can get her own apartment, food stamps, medical benefits, and a check for not marrying the father of her children? That a two-parent black male-headed household is a luxury and a lifestyle she cannot afford. Black males and females are blaming each other instead of blaming the white people in charge who deliberately created the circumstances that destroyed the black family. Some unanswered questions about black females and the HIV-AIDS blame game. If black males are having sexual intercourse and breeding with large numbers of white females and obviously having unprotected sex, why isn't the HIV rates for white females increasing? If 22% of black males married outside their race, why aren't the HIV-AIDS infection rates going up for non-black females? If married white senators, governors, and preachers are coming out or being enforced out of the closet, why aren't the HIV rates for privileged white females rising? Maybe we are asking the wrong questions and blaming the wrong people. The HIV AIDS blame game. Make black males the down low, on the down low, HIV infected killers of black females. The rate in 2006 of new infections in black women was nearly 15 times that in white women. The article went on to say that some women reported being infected with HIV AIDS by boyfriends or husbands who they later found out were sleeping with men. U.S. News and World Report 2008. As the HIV AIDS ravaged the black community, the sexual behavior and drug addictions of the black community were put under a public microscope effectively blaming black people for becoming HIV infected. After John King, a divorced black male, appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show in 2004 and confessed to sleeping with men while he was married, black males became synonymous with the HIV-infected closet homosexual living the down-low lifestyle. In 2010, Oprah Winfrey revisited the topic and once again focused on black males who make up less than 15% of the male population. Is the HIV-AIDS epidemic another Tuskegee experiment? In October 2010, the U.S. government officially apologized for a 1940s STD sexually transmitted disease study in Guatemala where white American scientists deliberately infected prisoners and patients in a mental hospital with syphilis.
The same government researcher who led the study in Guatemala was also involved in the infamous Tuskegee experiment where 600 black males were deliberately infected with syphilis without their knowledge, allowing infected black males to infect countless black females for over 40 years so white researchers could study the effects of the disease on their black victims. In 1990, Dr. David Acer, an HIV-infected Florida dentist, was accused of infecting six of his patients with the disease. According to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, this supposedly was the first known instance in which a healthcare provider transmitted HIV to a patient by a method other than unprotected sexual intercourse. Sexually transmitted diseases may serve a more sinister purpose. In the 1970s, South Africa developed race-specific bioweapons to target blacks and Asians. In September 2000, the Project for a New American Century published a document that described race-specific bioweapons as politically useful tools. There should be no doubt in any rational black mind what these bioweapons are being designed to do and who the targets will be. In spite of all the above, the stereotyped down-low black male and the sexually immoral black female are blaming each other for a highly suspicious HIV-AIDS epidemic they did not create. Maybe the reason for the advent of black men in Hollywood wearing dresses is, if the black man can play the man roles and the woman roles, then there will be no need for the black woman, the spiritually strong one. You see, the point I'm trying to make is that if the white man knows that once you get more than one black woman in the same room together, something happens. A mysterious energy fills the room with an unexplained aura. The force of black women on a movie set will cause something and or do something. There are things brothers won't do in front of black women that they'll do in front of white people. But when a black woman is around, a sort of reality check happens and the black woman will ask the black man, why are you doing this? Why are you resorting to such buffoonery and homosexual ways? Wake up. What are you doing? And indeed, if that were to happen, the whole white man's plan would die. Ryan, 40, black male, government employee. Context of white supremacy. Black love is a revolutionary act. We have more to go. Uh, at least two more weeks might be more than that but at least two more weeks the program will be on monday next week teacher training schedule thankfully it will be all done uh next week so we'll be back to normal broadcast schedule uh but we will be on monday uh next week uh that's october 15th 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern uh, I will make sure to post on, it's already on Facebook, but I'll make sure to announce again as we proceed. But next Monday for the eighth installment, uh, as we get close to the finish line, the number 641715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The question again, Gus T described this text uh, as flagrantly anti-black male. Is that accurate?
based on what we heard. I asked it uh, after the first audio segment concluded, and I said, we'll get to hear a little bit more, see if that's accurate uh, or not. We've heard a little bit more. So the question, again, if folks want to uh, expound on or add to whatever response you gave, uh, I will check to see if we have any folks uh, who dialed in. If you have comments you would like to share, uh, we'll try to nab uh, folks we've not heard from. A uh, person who dialed in via, I guess you're on the vote line. If you had commentary you wanted to share, you should be with us. Uh, yes. Am I being heard? Yes, sir. Uh, hey, good evening. Um, this is a victim from Africa, a uh, first-time caller from uh, Arizona. Uh, kind of nervous, but uh, it's good to call in. Good let, to hear everybody. Let, let the spirit of the late John McCain, great representative of your state, <laughs> let him inspire and embolden you as you share your perspective with us. I'm so sorry for the loss you and everyone in your great state has suffered. The late John McCain, who should have beaten the no good Negro Obama way back then. But anyway, let's hear you. Uh, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But, um, yeah, I'm going to keep it short. Um, maybe I'll call in in the future. Um, keep up the good work, Gus. I, I really appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, I've really woke up just this past year, like since 2016. And uh, without Mr. H. Fox, I probably wouldn't know uh, about the program. So thank you all. I appreciate all of you all for all the information. You know, I'll, I'll try to call in later or sometime like that. Thank you. Much obliged, much obliged, Mr. Fox, uh, overseas, global system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, much obliged to all of his hard effort, labor, and uploading the content uh, to YouTube. He's been doing that for years. Uh, super appreciative of his efforts. I think a lot of folks uh, would say, here, here, we would not have heard about uh, this wacky content if it were not for Mr. Fox. Much obliged, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, Thomas in New York, uh, good to hear from you, sir. If you had commentary, you should be with us. Good evening, Gus. Good evening to all the callers. Um, absolutely. Um, I think that um, her book has not been um, anti-black. I think she's been pretty consistent with explaining um, why uh, everything is going on um, in her own way. I think she's um, she hasn't picked on Black men. When I think of someone being anti-black men, I think of the black feminists, um, where you know, you know, they just hate black men. You know, they just hate men. You know, they have that I hate men attitude. But I think that she's explained pretty thoroughly uh, from the time of um, shadow slavery to present day why these things are occurring. And uh, I think that she's writing it from a female perspective because she's a female. If it was a black male writing this, it would probably uh, offend some black women because he'll be giving you the black male perspective. Much obliged, Thomas, in New York. That was it, right? Oh, other than that, though, I believe she's um, excellent. Um, other than the history part, I, I've agreed with everything she said. I think she, um, you know, she's been um, pretty pretty on point with with everything she said. Uh, I can't even think of one specific part I want to detail uh, right off the bat. Um, but um, I, I was just sitting back enjoying it. 
Much obliged. Thomas in New York. Uh, other folks have commentary that had a hand up? I'll check again uh, once I share my notes from the second segment. I do see uh, other hands up, but I'll check again once I share my notes from the second segment. The I do not see symmetry. Uh, I, I do not see consistently in the book at all. As I said, I think if you just count the anecdotes, the little stories that she gives, the one about Rufus uh, from before, the one anecdote from where it's the two people having dinner. It's a black male and a black female. I think they're on a date or having dinner or something like that. And the black male uh, asks her if he if she would uh, shake her hair like a white woman. Uh, the example that we heard tonight, uh, the black male at the counter, there are tons of examples of black males behaving poorly, in my view, where there is no sympathy or patience conveyed at all in thinking of them or representing them as victims. There's not a balance in terms of black females being portrayed in that manner. I said the story Miranda, that's the one that I said before, she is not portrayed in the same way that Rufus is. Uh, you end up feeling sympathetic for her after she's gained all this weight and lost her job and has moved back in uh, with her parents. At least that's the way that I read it. Uh, I think it's, it's, it is a very different reading. If you read that story about Miranda and then you read that story about Rufus or even the story that we started the second audio segment with where we have a black male being called a nigger repeatedly. Now this is an anecdote that you know, somebody wrote in, some random uh, person wrote or what have you that got included in the text, but being called this little ass nigger because he is in some sort of arrangement with a non-white female, so-called Asian. I don't see that anywhere in the book where a black female is called a nigger repeatedly or talked about in the way that the black males are in the, but that's why I say it's, it's flagrant. Uh, in my opinion, I can just continue with the examples as we go. Uh, and some of this, if we just want to talk about accuracy, unified Asian communities where they have a higher rate of Asians marrying whites than black people do. But you have a quote unquote unified Asian community. I'll go back to Thomas in New York. That's accurate. You said you thought it was accurate. That's accurate in your view. You have a quote unquote unified Asian community, whatever that means, where more Asian people are in marriages with whites than black people. Is that accurate? That was a question, uh, Thomas. I don't know if you're able to respond, but that's a question. Oh, um, well, I didn't quite read into it. Um, I don't have the text. So oh, okay. No problem. No problem. Right. No but, problem. Uh, I would say, I would say that, um, um, if blacks don't have a community, I think um, Asians certainly do, um, as far as what I see. But um, as far as the, the, the way that you're, um, you know, when I was saying thinking anti-black, I'm like her talking bad about black men. But the antidote she's using, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, sir. Right on, right on. And I understand that folks don't have uh, the text. I know a whole lot of people uh, listen to the book club and don't have uh, the actual um, physical copy of the book uh, with them. That's why we do the audio text uh, so that people can listen, you know, at their 
uh, convenience, but it can be helpful sometimes to have the book so you can, you know, be precise, you know, and, and see like, oh, okay, this is the exact sentence. And some of the things that I'm talking about, this is like paying uh, specific attention to some of the word use uh, where having the text might be helpful. Continuing. Um, the anecdote that we ended, and I'm just looking at those, and I mean, that just that alone, we ended audio a uh, segment one tonight, the anecdote, it said that black all every single one, <laughs> every single one, no exceptions, every single black male man uh, in America, that's what it said, is insane. Didn't say black people, didn't say black males and females, black, every single black man in America is insane. The next anecdote that we started with, audio segment number two, black male in an arrangement with an Asian female, which I do not think is incorrect. I do not have that in my code. I do not think any black person, uh, male or female, who is in some sort of sexual arrangement with a non-white person has done anything incorrect, nor should they be name called and castigated. We could just stop right there. Name calling alone. Gus T, I think for a decade has tried real hard. Hey, let's not name call black people. Why in the Christ would it be acceptable now to let's get this anecdote in where mother fudger is like we have some understanding that, hey, let's not get too explicit. Let's try and, you know, sanitize this a little bit. But it's OK to call him a little ass nigger and a little nigger repeatedly. It's OK to call a black male that just because I don't think he should be in some sort of relationship with an Asian female. Wow. Again, I don't see that. I don't hear that anywhere in the text in reference to a black female. That's why I'm saying it's flagrantly anti-black. In fact, as it's continued, because this is not just today, I was saying this last week. That's why I'm saying it's significant. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a one-chapter thing. This is over and over and over and over. In a text called Black Love is a revolutionary act. Uh, when it continues, the anecdote, uh, or the poem rather, and I guess I just have to say for the record, I don't know if this has anything to do with my assessment of the book, but just being consistent, I am no fan of poetry, like, at all, like, and I used to, like, write poems for, like, five seconds, but, oh, I am no fan of poetry, like, every time that that comes up on the, pro, and it's over the decades, like, maybe I could put a little uh, collage of that, but every time poetry comes up on the program, that is oh, generally a gag moment uh, for Gus T. Anyway, the poem, uh, where they're talking about black males and saying a dishonorable man will be shown no mercy again i haven't heard anywhere in the text conversation about a dishonorable black female not being shown any mercy i thought the title of the book was black love is a revolutionary act now we're talking about victims of racism presumably some black people who will not get any mercy or patience for their behavior in a system of racism, white supremacy. That seems, in my view, it seems directly contradictory to what the book is supposed to be about, unless I am misformed and I'm not reading it correctly. Now, again, this is a line in a poem. So, I mean, hey, I'm not a poetry fan. Maybe I just didn't interpret uh, the poem correctly. Also a word, and I'm just following counter-racist logic. In a system of racism, white supremacy, 
No black person is capable of providing protection. That, in my view, is just not logical. And that's, I'm just making statements. Either it's true or it's not. And that really doesn't have anything to do with the book. This is just following logic. If black males could protect themselves, there would be no Emmett Till. There would be no Eric Garner. You could just, you know, fill in as many names as you need to. No Oscar Grant. None of these. And maybe there would be no Renisha McBrides and all that. Maybe at least one or two black males. Well, she did say all of them were insane. But maybe at least you get one or two outliers who say, oh, maybe I do, you know, actually care about black females. I'm not feverishly chasing every white woman. She used that word feverishly before. Uh, Maybe I will, you know, look out for other black people, too. Maybe you wouldn't have some of these problems. That's not the case. Uh, You do not have black males, black females, black anyone in the known universe who is capable of providing protection in a system of white supremacy. That's just, and again, some of this is just having accurate expectations, understanding of what white supremacy means. If you are thinking black males can protect me, you're going to be disappointed, probably frustrated a lot because we cannot. I'm speaking as a black male. We can't even protect ourselves. And you see that every day, even if you want to go beyond individual anecdotes of Eric Garner and such that I mentioned, uh, you can just use the statistics that she presented in the book. Uh, about black males and their uh, unemployment and uh, poor job in school. She just talked about all of that. Low life expectancy, you can add that to it. These things wouldn't exist if black males could provide some sort of protection. Very, very important uh, because that's been mentioned quite a few times. And uh, in the same vein where she says, uh, talked about this before, uh, black, uh, a male dominated society and including black males in that, that is absolutely incorrect going back to Thomas's point about whether or not the information presented is accurate and I'm saying even at points some of this information is not accurate and I'm talking specifically about today because he was he gave a time reference I'm saying the information we heard today in the chapters 36 uh, forward where we stopped at I think at 37 uh, some of this information important information is false and that is one uh, that black males are included in this male dominated society How can that be when you have the flagrant contradiction of they can't even get themselves jobs? They can't even get themselves out of jail. They can't even stop themselves from being killed. They have the lowest life expectancy. What are they doing with this domination other than chasing white women? It doesn't make sense. I'm just following logic. It's not logical. In my view, it is flagrantly inaccurate. And that's pushing towards this black misandry that I'm saying, this flagrant anti-black male tone in the book misrepresenting what quote-unquote power black males have that's something she just talked about with black females it's happening in this book with black males and even the logic because it keeps being referenced over and over again that black males are chasing white women it's chasing women how many black males can really be with white women if so many of them don't have education and don't have any money and have such a low life expectancy and have such a great likelihood of being in the uh, prison industrial complex, PIC, as they say in the book, and certainly are making less money than even white women, how many of them are really going to have access to, you know, carry out this fetish hankering that they might have even for white women? That's why I'm saying it's not 
logical. I'm just trying to follow logic with the information that's being presented. If black males don't even have the income and education and status to be on par with black females, how in the world are they going to be? Continuing. Uh, community. Black people do not have uh, communities in a system of racism, white supremacy. Uh when she talked about leaders, because she said black males are the leaders in the black community, again, I'm just following logic. This might be counter-racist logic. All of the leaders of black people are white. You have many black spokespersons, but in terms of a leader, and some of this, what do you mean by leader? Are you just talking about somebody coming outside and talking? Is Dennis Rodman a leader? He's been mentioned a lot of this book. Is he a leader? Who are you even talking about? In my view, a leader, that's somebody who can solve problems. You call the leader and things get done. Generally, system of racism, white supremacy, you're going to be talking to someone who is classified as white, directly, indirectly, who is going to be making those type of decisions who can get problems solved. Uh, I will conclude uh, when she was talking about quote unquote black unity whatever that means in a system of white supremacy that is something that does not exist uh, she said that Tiger Woods she classified him specifically as being worthless uh, on the grounds of him being in a tragic arrangement again in a book black love is a revolutionary act does that sound like we think of Tiger Woods as a victim. Does that sound like we think of him as someone as clueless who does not understand racism, white supremacy, who is a victim uh, of many, many white women race soldiers? Does that sound like the way that we're thinking about him saying that he is worthless? And going back to the same thing now, if this was presented in a balanced manner, I would be hearing specifically named black females as, that are worthless. I didn't hear Oprah Winfrey described as worthless. I heard, you know, ways that, you know, her not being uh, married on a system of racism, white supremacy, and what she talked about on her show, but I didn't hear her described as uh, worthless. I didn't hear any other black females uh, described as worthless, but I heard Tiger Woods specifically called out by name as worthless. And then I heard another black male called a nigger repeatedly, a little ass nigger, even though it was an anecdote written from a black male, it was included from the book. So that's just the author being able to couch their own views in a book that is not in their pen. I will pause. If I am speaking in air, is that retired firefighter or Thomas in New York? That's me, there. Oh, sorry, sir. Go ahead, go ahead, Thomas, because you seem like you have something immediately you need to say. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to be very, very brief. Um, you know, and, I, you know, I think that I was reading it agreeing with some of the things she was saying about some of those people who are not thinking about the looking at the contrast. So I, I thank you for pointing that out. My question for you, Gus, is um, you've um, written forward for her other book, I believe, um, and you've spoken to her off um, the air, I'm sure. Um, what do you think her response would have been if you had um, questioned her um, after, you know, reading the book and she came back on the show and you asked these questions to her? I have no idea because we had such a 
heated disagreement when I raised these issues off the air. And some of the exact thing, I picked out these anecdotes. That was flagrant the first time around. I didn't, the male domination thing, I did not pick out. But the anecdotes, I mean, that's just flagrant. Uh, I said something to her about that. And she did not concede. She said that she felt Miranda was not presented in a really uh, way where you would sympathize. Miranda is the one who, black female who lost her job. People don't remember. She lost her job and had to live with her parents and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. She said she didn't think it was written in a manner that, you know, portrayed her sympathetically, which I disagree with. I, particularly if you contrast it the way that Tiger Woods has talked about and some of these other folks. Anyway, the way that I'm viewing this now, I can't even endorse this book. Like, I would have to compare this to, uh, I would have to contrast this with The Hate You Give, where the author said Maverick is her favorite character. And then you look at the way that Maverick is presented in the book. I would look at this and say, now, black love is a revolutionary act. And then I look at the way that black males are described and talked about in the book. Like, I'm, oh, my, I have no, I, I said last week, if I, I knew Pam, I had known Pam for a year, a little less than a year when this book came out, 2011. I'd known her about 10 months when this book came out. If I had not known her, we didn't know each other, and I'm reading this book first time now Pam would have never been on this program I would have if anything someone would have asked me about this book and I would have trashed this book because I would sound way worse than I do now if I did I mean we're reading this book after her passing this is probably the most empathy I would have reading it now like oh my god if it was a stranger I'd be stomping on this like oh my god like uh I have no idea I don't even I don't even know how I'd be able to to bring it up because it's I mean it's like massive like um I think for me it's even worse because you have Dr. Welsing, Mr. Fuller's material, exactly what you just said, Thomas in New York. It does have pieces of constructive information, Mr. Fuller, Dr. Welsing, in between, so it has a veneer of authenticity, but man, the anti-black, the black misandry, the anti-black male tone of this book is so heavy, and some of the key points, the inaccuracies, like, man, I couldn't even... I couldn't even endorse this book. And that would be the second book. That would be her first two books. Neither of them I could endorse. And we had already talked about on air. I cannot endorse book one. That's in the archives and you can, you know, go back. I was even thinking we cannot read the interracial con game because I have not enjoyed this book at all. There is no way we can follow and read the interracial con game for me to have to listen to another round of what I suspect will be black misandry if anything i would be willing to read the trojan uh, trojan horse death of a dark nation because i already know going in that's a book i didn't endorse back then for a variety of reasons i would only be reading it to see is the anti-black male tone in that book too but there are many other reasons that and i told pam we talked about it on the program i cannot endorse trojan horse death of a dark nation because that oh not accurate about racism white supremacy which is the general pattern when non-white people write books about racism they are not accurate uh retired five can i be yes sir yes sir uh yes as i mentioned before uh uh the byproduct the main uh, perhaps the main byproduct of the effectiveness of the system of racist white supremacy on its victims is confusion and primarily that confusion we acted out in our thought 
speech and actions uh, with one another. The term Asians was used a lot in this particular second half reading in a very broad context. Uh, you know, and every it and the word community. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking that every time I hear the word tsunami and how, how vast, in a vast way, the destruction takes place, and these are non-white people, uh, it, and, and, it's, and it, is, it is not that much different. If I showed any, anybody a picture of what just took place a few weeks ago in the area that's called Asia with those non-white people in the place, places where they're allowed to stay, and what just took place about 48 hours ago in the place that's called Haiti, you probably couldn't tell the difference. You probably couldn't tell the difference at all. Uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, with both areas, both areas, uh, the prior destruction that we were informed of through the news uh, is still there. Uh, so as far as whatever community means, <laughs> uh, uh, it certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, look like there are a lot of non-white people who are in the area that's called Asia that uh, is any different than non-white people who are in this part of the world or any other part of the world that is racially classified as black, as far as they're concerned. I'm talking about in the billions of people who have that and unfortunately have that in common, uh, who are non-white people. Uh, so uh, I would say as far as that particular part of the reading, it was uh, kind of like based on inaccuracy. Uh, and we have to be very careful about that when we are speaking and or writing or whatever, exchanging with one another, that we attempt to be as accurate as we possibly can or be quiet. I would say that's the other alternative until you are as accurate as you possibly can be. Uh, I have some other thoughts uh, also uh, based on some of the things that you were saying. Just can't think of them right now. I forgot I should be right. Should have wrote them down. But uh, yeah, that, that's, that's my thoughts. You know, as far, you know, the, the, the names Asia, Africa, America are just what that is, is names. And there are white people and non-white people in all of those areas. And I would say uh, the system of racist white supremacy dominate all of those areas. And the non-white people that exist in those areas are subjugated uh, in all of those areas. I mean, I can go with uh, uh, China, uh, Japan, uh, the Philippines. Uh, and at the same time, there are some non-white people who, uh, quote unquote, are doing well financially. That does not mean that they are not effective, affected by the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, so that's all I have to say right now. Thank you. Are all the leaders of black people white, retired firefighter? Logically speaking, I would say so. Hmm. 
Are you able to provide protection, uh, retired firefighter? Logically speaking, no. Uh, I, I have an offspring that is away from me, and every time he's away from me, uh, I guess I guess as a pretended parent, I do something that's called worrying. <laughs> I mean, here here I am, a person who has uh, 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 went through the most probably one of the most dangerous uh, uh, employments that you could possibly have, <laughs> as far as they're concerned. But yet I worry because of this of this uh, knowledge that I, I can't protect him. The only thing I can do is share with him on. Uh, methods, tactics, and strategies where he can uh, perhaps avoid uh, avoid things so he would uh, return safely. So I hope, hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> absolutely absolutely with <laughs> with the with the honesty we have come to appreciate retired firefighter uh, in Florida much much obliged. Uh, I did also want to make sure that I included and th just talking about the use of words. Man, woman, those terms have been used a lot in this book. Just that alone. This program, I say black males, black females. The only time you hear me say man, woman, you know, I am talking about someone classified as white, be they a white man White woman, you know, I am not talking about anybody non-white. If I am using the term man and woman, that is counter-racist code. Neely Fuller Jr., producejustice.com is counter-racist logic. Why? I talk about having correct expectations all the time. If I'm talking about a black person, I'm not talking about a man. I'm not talking about a woman. Having a correct understanding, the system of white supremacy, if you're black, classified as black, you're not going to be allowed to function as a man, woman. Mr. Fuller says all the time the goal is to replace white supremacy with justice so that we can be universal man, universal woman. That is extremely important because this, at, to me, it strongly sounds like someone who does not understand. It would be everybody associated with the book who does not understand. Oh, wait a minute. We're in a system of white supremacy. Black males. You don't have black men. That's a concept, something we would like to have. We don't have black women. That's a concept, something we would like to have. Males, females, as long as same reason you don't have black leaders. We're under a system of white supremacy. If you don't understand racism, what it is, how it works, everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. It's a reason Mr. Fuller has that on page one, just like there is a reason he does not say black men, black women. And I will say again, if anybody can find a definition of love in this book, let me know. Page highlight immediately. I would like to see it because that is another word that people get very reckless about. Any other folks have commentary before we get ready to Settle in. Oh, didn't even look. Uh, uh, all the other folks who dialed in that we have not heard from. Uh, okay. Let's get people we've not heard from at all. Uh, Ivy, uh, do you have commentary that you want to share?
maybe that's not even Ivy. I thought that was uh, Ivy. Are you with us, Ivy? Or other person who dialed in uh, via the Skype line, vote line? Uh, can I be heard? Uh, victim, it was a different person. Hang tight. I will, I will add your commentary okay. as, as well. Uh, okay. Just sorry about sure. that. Not, not, nothing to be sorry for. I'm just trying to make sure I get uh, folks that we missed completely. Uh, while I'm waiting on the other person, the caller, 3098, did you have commentary? You should be with us. Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, yes, sir. Good evening. I hope everybody, I pray everybody's having a constructive evening. Um, a couple of, a couple of comments I would like to um, add. Um, this is a prime example, a real-time example, that question I asked on the uh, compensatory call-in, uh, following logic where I asked where, how we can analyze a fellow victim's uh, analysis of racism without being critical and causing conflict. So this is an excellent uh, example of how I can go about doing that. Thank you. Um, as far as the anti-black male tone, I would I would tend to agree it has a lot of that, especially in the anecdotes that the the, the, um, the beginning of the second segment was very very much um, anti-black male in that tone. And the question I would ask: Would you would you characterize the scholarship and research of the text as sloppy, with the lack of footnotes? and notation that has not been presented. And uh, follow-up is, is that being active in finding the support of the system of white supremacy and racism? Thank you. I'll be, I'll meet my line. Uh, first question, yes. Would I say it's sloppy? Yes. Second question, uh, if I heard it correctly, does that, I'm paraphrasing, does that aid or support somehow the system of racism, white supremacy? Was that the question? The the sloppiness, does that aid the system of white supremacy in some way, directly, indirectly? Was that the question? Well, the question is, like you said, by us calling it slop, sloppy, does that aid in that, or is that being overly critical? I'm saying uh, are we being critical, but are we analyzing the, the text and saying that the, the the scholarship and the, the lack of research as sloppy. Are we aiding and supporting the system? That's oh, okay. I got the, got you. I, I generally do not use the word sloppy. Uh, I mean, I, if my understanding of the term sloppy uh, is uh, the same as yours, uh, yes, that would uh, be an accurate description. I have been saying that the work is not accurate, and that's generally the way that I function, even going back to your question from the compensatory call-in about how do you analyze, that's one word right there because I think the word sloppy has a lot of connotations that people, ooh, he called Pam's work sloppy. No, I just said it's inaccurate. That's what I've been saying most of the evening. It's accurate or it's not accurate. It's logical or it's not logical. It's difficult to take that personal. I make errors. I say that all the time. I might have been in error. This I say that all the time unless I'm in error, borrowing from Mr. Fuller. Those are generally the words that I stick to when analyzing racism, white supremacy, and I often use those same terms when I'm talking to whites. I generally don't yet, and I have not this evening until you asked me, but no problem answering the question. My understanding of the word sloppy, absolutely it would apply. That's probably the word I would have used if I didn't have a personal connection to Pam. If it was a stranger, oh yeah, sloppy. Thank you, thank you. 
uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all. Uh, the person. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Are there any other females on the line who have not participated yet? None that I am aware of currently. Hmm. Well, uh, I just have one question, um, just out of curiosity. Uh, may I ask in regards to your question you posed earlier about this? the uh, the tone of anti-black male um, that you said you're picking up. What, what is the constructive value in, I guess, pointing that out? Or uh, if that makes sense, I'm not trying to be antagonistic or anything. Of that no problem. No problem. I would generally identify a piece of work that I thought was talking in a way, presenting in a way that was talking that did not identify black people in general as victims that was talking uh, to them in a way that they were somehow culpable or blamable uh, or should not be thought of with mercy or compassion. I would generally identify that as something that's anti-black material. This is not that. This is specific, I'm saying. This is all of that. You're not a victim. There does not seem to be compassion, patience. In fact, there seems to be a lot of judgment uh, and no compassion. In fact, it says explicitly, no mercy for the dishonorable man, talking about black males specifically, that the constructive value, if there is any, I do not think that this helps. Even with the theme of the book, if the book is supposed to be black love is a revolutionary act and being patient with one another and trying to work together to solve this problem, I don't think presenting or talking about this problem in a manner that portrays black males or if it was anybody else talking about black females in a manner where they're not thought of as with compassion, where we think of them as niggers and call them that explicitly. Uh, where we don't talk about them with patience, compassion, where we don't think of them as victims first and foremost, I don't think that's going to help solve this problem at all. I think that contributes to a lot of anti-blackness and perpetuates a lot of the same conflict that we're supposed to be trying to diminish. Did that answer your question? Uh, yeah, you, you did answer the question. Um... Thank you. And then I guess do you, another question, do you think that the difference possibly in um, whether or not Pam or any of the other co-authors um, saw this as a, I guess, a black male bashing tone um, was in regards to like, oh. they're thinking that the correct caring for um, black males and black females would be each other. Do you think that plays a part in your maybe not uh, agreeing with the tone that they present in the book and you're not having that idea? That, I hope it makes sense. So I really hope there are other black females that's... on the line. For me, that's not primary because some aspects of the text that are very important that I've pointed out, 
are not accurate. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I think black males and black females are the uh, ideal uh, pairing. Uh, I mean, again, just presenting accurate information. That's one. The anti-black male tone? No, because you could you could remove that one anecdote where it happens to be a black male with an Asian female and the rest of them are mostly just black male uh, white women um, in the way that they're presenting and talking about black males. So no, that has, that would have little to no bearing on my assessment of the text and it, in my view, it being flagrantly anti-black, I obviously can't speak for what their intent was or that sort of thing, but I don't think it's, uh, I think if you just make an assessment of the, an honest assessment of the text, I think it's it's pretty obvious. Understood. Uh, thank you for answering the question. Have, did you did you want to answer the question? Is this a flagrantly anti-black male book in tone? If you have been following along in with the reading, or if you read it on your own. I have been doing both. I have been listening to the archives of the book club. For some reason, I am still awake all the early morning. Um, um, so I was able to participate, but I've read it on my own previously as well. I had not thought of it as a flagrantly anti-black male um, with that specific wording. No, I had not. I also read it possibly different in regards to saying to such lines as like um black males are supposed to be protectors or, or i even corrected it i guess in the book it says specifically black males are protectors i read that as they should be understanding that they are not able to be in the system um i guess that's the difference is i read it with my understanding um so yeah i I will have to reconsider it, I guess, with this uh, black male bash, the black, anti-black male tone. I'll have to reread it to see if I pick that up on my own. Did you hear any black females uh, called worthless or did you hear any black females referenced as niggers in the book? I wouldn't trust myself to give a definitive yes or no right now. I'm barely in on as far as consciousness, but um, I do not recall it at this moment. No. Okay. I, I think that is outstanding. She says she didn't trust herself. I do encourage folks, hey, let me get a little time, Gusty. You're not going to get me to commit when I'm sleepy, what have you, and, and have me say something. And then when I get a little rest and I'm thinking correctly, oh, wait a minute. Gosh, you tricked me uh, on that one. So I always encourage if you want to take time or if you think of it, feel free, drop an email and let us know. And it, that's anybody uh, listening. If you find a passage, because just things and no name calling. Some of this is just basic. No name calling. There's no reason to call another black person a nigger, regardless of what they have done. That's not helping to solve any problems. I've been saying that for 10 years. I've never seen we're calling another black person, coon, sambo, nigger, or any other new ones. I've never seen where that helps to solve any problems i could be in error uh did we uh the caller victim uh we will make sure you get the final word thank you for your patience because i think we nabbed everybody else uh victim did you have commentary sir
Not hearing anything. Line should, looks like your line is open. Maybe Arizona is not allowing him to speak. Last check. Victim, first time caller, did you have commentary or? Oh, well. We will try again uh, next week. Again, we'll be here next Monday. Yoga teacher training. Wow, we. I will have to tell you all about that. Wow, we. Pre, not just teacher training, prenatal yoga teacher training. And unbeknownst to Gus, we have to take a prenatal yoga class with pregnant women every day of teacher training. Wow. What an experience. We'll have to chat about that uh, down the road. Gus T has been affectionately nicknamed their token male throughout the teacher training. We will chat on that as we roll. Anywho, uh, victim, I think hey, he. Gus, when is oh, workplace racism? Uh, once teacher training concludes, I have two more weeks. So I will be in teacher training with the pregnant women this Thursday and again next Thursday. So two weeks from gotcha. this, from this uh, Thursday. Uh, the victim, you want to try again, sir, before we wrap up? Okay. Uh, yeah. Can you, can, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry about that. I had to uh, re-log back in. Um, yeah, I just want to, um, add to your commentary as far as like, uh, I'm a black male as well. Um, heading into my thirties pretty soon. Um, I, I am an attempted husband and attempted, uh, father of two, one being two and one about to be five. And, uh, I just think about the, the video with the guy in uh, Florida, when he was trying to uh, attempt to protect his, uh, I don't know if it's, if it was his girlfriend or wife and his uh, his children, and we all see how that ended up. So yeah, um, yeah, it's very hard trying to protect our children out here. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Much obliged. I know we have uh, unsettled folks with the scheduling, but it is temporary. And man, I think it will be super beneficial not just to uh, Gus T. Yoga is amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, that I had no idea there. Yoga postures that can help with childbirth, ease childbirth. No idea. Amazing. Uh, and yeah, I had to talk about that later. Anywho, uh, for this specifically, I am looking forward uh, to Monday and continuing. We'll be here. It'll be Monday, October 15th, 4 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. I did have to do quite a bit of uh, sitting and thinking i have meditated on this i think i've been thinking about this uh while i have been practicing yoga for the past week uh it is not without uh great consternation uh pam was someone who's very close to me which is uh man <laughs> i'm generally pretty uh curmudgeon all the time but i was close to pam but man uh there's uh just no way i could read this and pretend that i have a view that is different than what i have expressed on the program and again Pam and I did have it out about this, uh, you know, in terms of integrity. It was not purposely not on the air, but I mean, we did have a big uh, argument, like one and a half arguments, really, uh, about some of the exact issues that I'm raising here. So we will continue. Uh, if you want to email untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, with that, 
Prenatal yoga teacher training resumes tomorrow morning all day long. Remain uh, constructive. Uh, we will look forward to getting things back on track uh, as soon as possible. Uh, thanks, everyone, for dialing in and checking. You can always check the Facebook group, uh, Twitter as well. I think I wrote yesterday on Twitter and Facebook that we were going to be doing the program today once I saw that the, the schedules doesn't even stay consistent for the teacher training. Anywho, uh, I hope it was constructive for all who participated. Reading is more important than watching television. Indeed. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. I think Pam would concur. I know Dr. Welsing would. Let's keep our brain computers working efficiently so that we can think of new concepts uh, to solve the problem. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. Follow logic. Mr. Fuller talks about that all the time. Do not follow people. Myself, Pam, Dr. Welsing, Mr. Fuller follow logic the caller that was talking before about how you go about analyzing information you follow logic it's not personal follow logic and strive for accuracy in a system based on deception that's one of the best things that we can do is strive for accuracy creator please help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy, even if they are in a tragic arrangement. Creator, please help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Pamela Evans Harris, her birthday is this week. Happy birthday, Pam the Great. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>